Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. First issue. Everybody, it's Wednesday, February 6th, 2013, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I am in the house with Steve Say. Hello. Mr. Bob Ryer. Hola. And joining us later, Talking Comics contributor and all-around horror guru, Melissa Megan. But before we get to that, we're going to be talking about horror comics and horror in general. Um, it's kind of a catch-up from what we didn't get to do way back in October when, uh, you know, Superstorm Sandy hit and we just, you know, we had to move on from that. But it's a pretty... I'm, I'm, I'm excited for that discussion because we've been trying to have it for months and months and months. Um, so we'll finally get to have it. Um, yeah, we get to things. It takes a while, but we, we get so, around to it. I just need to say something. Superstorm is such bullshit. I know. That they, you know, it's a hurricane. <laughs> but they don't they don't say it's a hurricane because of insurance reasons or, or you know, catastrophe reasons or whatever. Right. Superstorm, my ass. Sorry. I mean, <laughs> you were the person without power for 11 days. Yeah, so. yeah but, you know, I... I uh, you get to call her. If you want to call her a hurricane... Well, we'll be, we'll be talking about it a little bit later yep. with uh, Hawkeye. Hawkeye. Um, uh, one might say WTF. What? The- oh. <laughs> so this happened, I guess this broke maybe, I guess the day after we recorded last week. Yeah. Um, I guess it's April is going to be WTF month for DC. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure we're going to get a Deadpool cover from Marvel very soon making fun of this. It's going to be like the o- be funny. OMG, you know, <laughs> o- LOL edition of Deadpool. But uh, so they're doing this run of books in-, in April that are all WTF certified and they all have moments in them apparently that are going to, uh, you know, shock you. And they all have these like fold out covers that the second half of the cover shows you, I guess a hint of what that moment is going to be. Um, now, uh, you know, I think everyone who listens to the show regularly is me able to guess what Bob's reaction is going to be to this. Uh, I already posted something on our site about I it. I know. Um, I'll start off by saying, just forget about the fact that it, WTF stands for what the fuck. Um, and that's not, I think the best mention to be sending on your books. It's just dumb. It's such a dumb thing. It, it's so, it's a short-sighted marketing move. I, I'm sure that none of the people who write for DC or, or or do art for DC are at all happy about this. I'm sure it got branded on their books, you know, yeah. after it happened. But it's so dumb. It's if you know if it was LOL certified, you know that's what it's like. You know, it, it's a stupid internet shortening of, of, of a phrase, and it's just a it's a bonehead move. It just, it just doesn't it doesn't make sense to me. I mean. Uh, it was funny. I was listening to uh, um, IGN Assemble, which is Joey Espido's, Espido's podcast, and he talked about. They talked about. Do you really want people saying "what the fuck" after they read your book? Is that the reaction you want? 
You yeah. know, like, wouldn't, as soon as this, wouldn't OMG be the better, like, response that you would want of people going, oh my god, I can't believe this happened, you know? What would have been wrong with just shock, yeah. surprise, yeah. Uh, you yeah. won't believe what happens, yeah. but whatever. I, I, my local store, I was in, going through the previews and came upon this and started a discussion with the owner and the carpenter fixing the window chimed in. <laughs> That's a great message to send to kids. I went, yeah, isn't it? Um... These are supposedly shocking stories. The covers fold out into some, yeah. I don't know, you make a hat out of it or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, it seems as if the vast majority of them are covered in blood. Mm-hmm. The covers are all rather violent and rather hideous. And so couldn't it be their horror month? Couldn't you call mm-hmm. it you know, runs red? Anything. Right, you, yeah. Then this... Rather of the moment, someone pointed out they had a, uh, about 30 years ago, that they threw the word hip into their books, and which was already a dead phrase. Yeah. Well, this is, it's, it's, it's over, yeah. and yet they're using it. Yeah, it's stupid. Uh, Steve, what do you think about it? <laughs> no, sir, I don't like it. Um, I don't know. We were in the store last Wednesday, and, you know, previews hit, and we got the, the news, or we found out about it. If the cover that they gave you that folds out in the previews of, I think it's Detective mm-hmm. uh, Batman, is any indication of what's to come from these covers? I know it's only one cover mm-hmm. and it's only Detective, but if if, if I if I unfold a cover and you're telling me that like a army of man bats is coming into the picture, I don't exactly think of that as a what the fuck moment. Right. <laughs> um, it doesn't exactly excite me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. It's it, it's just it seems like another shovel full of dirt on DC's decaying corpse of respectability. I, like I don't know. That. That's it's really harsh. I I haven't had much time to formulate my thoughts on this. Um but it just seems like a really not a desperate marketing ploy, but just a really stupid one. It is. That's all, that's what it, that yeah. that's the thing that's offensive to me. It's not even the fact that they're using I guess what would be a shortening up of a, a cuss word in it. It's it's just stupid. It's offensively stupid to me. It, you know, in in two years, when people look at if people are going through this month of books and they see that, it's going to be a joke. No. You know. Well, but, you know what you know what um um what I don't like about it is that it it spans the entire line. It it spans the entire fifty two. Yeah. That DC seems to like set these precedents for for throughout their entire line that they like they get everybody on like a group call or something Mm. or they you know the meeting and they're like well guess what no (laughs) uh i don't know april or whatever is gonna be you know what the fuck month here at dc yeah so you're all gonna have to write something or come up with something that is gonna shock and surprise our audience and we're going to tie it in with these double, you know, these pull-out covers, and everybody's going to go, what the fuck? <laughs> and I just, it it dictates how the stories are going to go in a in a way that I don't feel is, I mean, DC is ultimately responsible for what they put out. Mm-hmm. But if a creator has a vision, and you put them on that book, and they're writing it a certain way, and then you pull them into a room, and it's like, oh, by the way... You know, your plans for whatever, you're going to have to table that and you're going to have to put in something that's just so shocking and so ridiculous because we want to have the WTF label (laughs) on our books to draw the eye of the casual comic shop shopper. Mm -hmm. Um, 
it honestly it seems desperate that's probably exactly the conversation that that Dan Didio had with all his writers, you know, yeah. and that's the sad part about it. You know, it feels like the zero issue thing to me. In the, in the again, it, it robs everything of momentum. Yeah, the creators got something going, and now, oh, by the way, you're off this month. Yeah. To me, while we it's, do this. To me, it's selling covers, not content. And yeah, it absolutely is, and and it it just it's more of, I, I think DC does themselves a disservice by doing this stuff. You know, it it, it feels. To me, I mean, don't get me wrong. Marvel does marketing stuff too, but it feels like they are much more um, uh, comfortable and much more confident in the content that they mm-hmm. have selling itself. And DC seems like they're just grasping at stuff, and I, they shouldn't be because they have a lot of quality stuff they're putting right. out. Let that stuff speak for itself, you know. But as mm-hmm. you said, even it was last week. You know, Marvel's line is a little more diverse in terms of tone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, if DC's is mostly in the dark place. They're aiming at this market that they've had, and it's their 25 to 35s, mm. and so WTF is funny. Yeah. I guess. But it's not. I know. <laughs> I, I am so glad they canceled the Superman Family Adventures, because I would not have wanted to see well, that's the WTF the... Superman Family Adventures book. It's not a, I'm just saying. It's not a 52 book, so it wouldn't have mattered. Oh, that's too bad. Um, also, a couple... Uh, well, we got this uh, this release of the Marvel Infinity... Uh, announcement for the new event. Yeah, that's gonna they're gonna preview it in the in, new, in free comic book day. Uh, story by Hickman, um, yeah. and I, I would assume also he'll be doing the event, which will I guess be in the fall. It'll be mm-hmm. after the Age of Ultron I- is over. Um, now, Bob, we know what you think of events in general. Uh, right. wh- what do you think about this? I'm still not thrilled with events, but mm-hmm. if I want someone to tell a cosmic story of far-reaching import, yeah, it's Jonathan Hickman, mm-hmm. and apparently all the big toys are in play. Yeah. So it's Avengers, FF, X-Men. The Inhumans thing is the thing that, that makes me the most excited, because that just seems yeah. a little bit out there. You know, that seems like not the normal... Uh, they are for him. Is, is, they well, were for part Hickman, of the, yes. Yeah, they're part of the four realms that were yeah. all in his FF storyline, so... It's it's good. Yeah, it for Hickman, it's normal, but in like the giant Marvel universe, not necessarily the thing that's used the most in the in right. recent times for big having, events. Having him do a Thanos story in advance of a movie that will feature him is brilliant. Yeah. I mean, we had somebody. I think we had a a, a listener uh, chime in on Twitter about this and something like it's uh, piggybacking off the movie and a little bit too much of that stuff. But I mean, I don't think I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with capitalizing on no. on that. You know, um, I haven't had as I I haven't had the opportunity to read um very any really mm-hmm. Thanos stuff yeah um especially if Hickman's gonna be heading it up I mean yeah. everybody knows that I'm a Hickman fanboy yeah. but um hell yeah yeah and he'll I agree with you I mean, he'll give more. you he'll give you the backstory I'm a lot he'll more excited about you. this than Ultron I'll tell you that mm-hmm. yeah yeah. <laughs> So, um, but whatever. We, do we know how many tie-ins this is going to involve as of yet? Probably all of them. But let's if, <laughs> if, if, they're, if they're bringing in all the teams, there's going to be at least some tie-ins in some of their books. Um, but uh, I mean, that's a slow ways away. Uh, a couple things are a ways away. Well, ways away as well. Uh, Kevin Feige, who has seemed to have been on the like starting rumors and speculation warpath oh, in the last rumors. couple of weeks. I like it. Um, you know, a lot of people were asking after Avengers ended what was going on with the Hulk, expecting him to get his own movie, and he's kind of been quiet, and for all intents and purposes, he's saying he's not going to show up again until Avengers 2. Um, he said things this this past week which leads people to believe, and the internet has been wildly speculating about this, so take this with a grain of salt, that um, 
he said there's big plans for the Hulk between Avengers 2 and Avengers 3, you know, leading into Avengers 3. So a storyline that's really going to branch from Avengers 2 into, into Avengers 3. Hmm. Um, very heavy rumor is that something's going to happen in Avengers 2 that's going to lead to a Hulk movie, which is going to be Planet Hulk, and then lead into Avengers 3 almost basically being World War Hulk. Um, wow. So... Take that for a grain of salt. I mean, those are th- those are two of the most requested storylines apparently for them to do in any any medium. Hmm. So you know, uh, it, it's got me on this kick. Like uh, I've been trying to come with columns, and this thing I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of try to read storylines that have to do with some of the movies and stuff that are coming out, and I'm going to check out these storylines. I haven't read them, Bob. I'm sure, have you read them? Yeah. Yeah. Um, World without a Hulk was we shot him into space yeah, with yeah, the, yeah. the Illuminati, mm-hmm. and I don't want to spoil too much of this. Yeah. It, it got a bit much when it came back. I started picking it up. I had gotten off the Hulk after mm-hmm. Peter David left, right? And saw him at Icon with Greg Pak, who was riding the Hulk. Mm-hmm. And the way they described what a great ride this was going to be, and it really was for mm-hmm. a long time. Yeah, went on a little right. too long. Yeah, um, look, the Hulk is a character who, if done right, can be. Perfect. You, mm-hmm. He's a perfect anti-hero, villain, power level off the charts. Yeah. And when he comes back with an army, yeah, it's pretty intense. Yeah. And I, I you know, and it, if that's what they're going to do, it it makes even more sense why they're bringing the Guardians of the Galaxy into the Marvel uh. universe. You know, um, to open up that cosmic world so they can just use it however they want. Um, and if they're planning on doing it too, the announcement of the Doctor Strange movie and kind of the Illuminati in general becomes a much more tangible thing because yeah. you have most of the members in your roster already. So I could borrow Reed from Fox for you know yeah. <laughs> a, an hour or two. Um, but that I think that sounds uh, very cool. Yeah. Um, and this is really isn't a new story, but they asked somebody talked about Mark Webb and they asked I guess somebody tweeted about you know him creating like a Spider Man universe, much like Marvel's doing, and and he said think bigger. So I don't know what that means, but it's an interesting to think about. And the last thing, this is actually hmm. concrete news. This happened uh, uh, early the, uh, mid-afternoon on Tuesday. Uh, they cast uh, Peter Quill, Star-Lord, the lead in Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, it's going to be an actor named Chris Pratt, who is in the show Parks and Rec. Uh, he was in uh, Zero Dark Thirty. He was in Moneyball. Um he is uh, a great everyman guy. He's a really funny guy. And it really goes along, I think, with what um, Marvel has been doing in general yeah. with the, the casting these lead actors. Wow. Um, for any fans of Parks and, Rec, Parks and Rec, the show, you'll be very people will be very excited about it. But I think it's a great choice. Hmm. Um, and it's it, good for him because he beat out a lot of much bigger names to get, get that part. So It sounds like they really do screen tests. They're yeah, they really trying to... a lot of casting, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And I think you'll see the dominoes fall a lot quicker now as far as the other people uh, go uh, in, in that movie. I think uh, they did cast Sharon Carter this week, too. They did. That's right. Uh, uh, whose name uh, I now not forgetting. Van Camp, I think, is her last name. Yes. Um, she's in that show Revenge. She's the lead in that show Revenge. So she's going to play uh, Sharon Carter in the Captain America movie. Um, so that should be interesting that we actually know for sure. And they also it also kind of came out that almost definitely Scarlett Johansson is going to play a rather big part in Captain America, too. So... <laughs> Um, we, we'll see what happens with That's that. Jam packed with folks. It is jam packed with folks. Uh, so moving on from that little bit of news, let's talk about our books of the week. Um, Bob, why don't you start us out this week? Sure. Um, quickly, um, two of our local stores, uh, Long Island Comics and over at Fourth World, had like back issue sales and stuff. Okay. So I picked up all the trade paperbacks of Gail Simone's Wonder Woman. 
from nice. way back. Nice. For reasonably, mm-hmm. well, I shouldn't say re- very cheap prices. So the first <laughs> one which I've gone through is called The Circle. And what you get here is all the mythology that everyone's happy with they're bringing in, but without quite all so much gru and gore. But you get a paradise island, a history with Hippolyta and her palace guard. Something has gone wrong. We get Nazis. We get uh, Diana courting in her way, which is bringing nectarine pits to some secret agent who's in a hospital <laughs> and talking about how she doesn't know how to bowl, but she'll learn if it's important. It is just Gail's typical great character work. Uh, we even get Etta Candy. <laughs> Only now she's a spy too. It's, it's just pretty interesting. So there are five of these that actually fill up the whole run and available cheaply from DC. Avengers 4, which is just... Uh, a lot of new ideas here. We've got Hyperion, but it's not the one from the Squadron Sinister or Supreme. It's a new Hyperion. Uh, and they end up with the leftovers from our last storyline that came out just like six days ago. <laughs> um, it's It seems like it's a rest issue. But right. since it's Hickman, we know that six months from now, things that were here are going to be in place. And he quote, was quoted as saying that this is not the other Hyperion. This is part of his three-year plan. Is part of the big story. <laughs> Sounds like him. Uh, yeah. You know, it was definitely the. It definitely hit the brakes a little bit uh, on the story, and that doesn't necessarily bother me. But the, it was definitely the one that I, I was the least. You know, uh, I was underwhelmed by mm-hmm. it. You know, and it, it was a shame. You know, obviously they've been pumping them out really fast, so I understand why Opeña isn't the artist on this issue. But even I and I like Cubert. Uh, most of the most time, um, he, like his uh, Batman work with Grant Morrison, I think is really, really good. Uh, but this stuff, it just, it just, it felt a little bit rushed to me, and it didn't, yeah. it wasn't great stuff. So uh, I don't know anything about the character Hyperion, and that's okay. You know, I, I'm, I'm in this for the ride. I'm in this to learn about the characters mm-hmm. who I don't know about. Uh, but I felt a little bit like it was not the best foot forward. But I mean, he's got this huge plan, and right. it's so tough to talk about Hickman's work in an individual pieces because he's got this huge plan. So you you, know, you have to believe in the, the giant plan because you've seen him do it before. Right, so. 30 issues out. This will now be a classic, but yeah. we don't can't know for right now. Now, yeah. Hyperion is part of the Squadron Supreme, which was the alternate universe Justice League. Mm-hmm. He's their Superman from a destroyed micro planet and powers far beyond mortal men, blah, blah, blah. And that's <laughs> sort of where we are here. Will the rest of those characters show up? Will we see the, the Power Princess and Doctor Spectrum and all the rest of it? And uh, he's a historian; he loves this sort of stuff. So, uh, if you're buying it, there's one more tomorrow. Today, there is today, today, today tomorrow, oh, or whenever lost. you're listening to this, it's out. It's on the show. Yeah. Uh, real book of the week, though, it's Hawkeye Seven, mm. uh, which we talked about last week with Rob. It was the hurricane relief issue where Matt Fraction donated all his royalties uh, to the Red Cross. You as, get, as well as our boy Rob. Yeah. Yes, who uh, it was the pay-as-you-go issue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we have a, two separate stories here because they managed to get this book together. It was not on the schedule this way, not, obviously. No. Got an entire book done in three weeks. Yeah. So that took two different artists because he figured it was easier to have two artists do 10 pages each. Mm. So we have two stories, one set in New York and one in New Jersey, and... Hawkeye and his upstairs neighbor Grills have to go out to his father in uh, in the Rockaways. And how many different Rockaways? We get to hear about the Ramones and everything yeah. else. Just very, very funny. And 
it's a very touching story about a father and and a mom and their possessions and Hawkeye's not thrilled with his car. No, he's not. It's unhappy. His car is not in good shape. No. Uh, but it, it's stories we all heard about. As New Yorkers, we, you yeah. heard about people who were in their house and lost everything. Uh, I, I have the print at home. I still haven't uh, put it up from J.K. Woodward, who lived the story they're talking about here, in the house, and all of a sudden there's water on the second floor, mm-hmm. and you have nothing. Uh, my favorite story, though, is the second one. Well, the first one is Steve Lieber, who drew that one. The second one is... Uh, oh, Jesse no. Ham. Jesse Him. There we go. Can I, I say in the first story, th- sure. this is a little moment. It's, it's, it's a generally kind of serious story um, where, you know, the guy says, oh, we have a rowboat. And Hawkeye gets this, like, beaming look <laughs> on his face. He's like, I'm good with boats. I do boats. It's a great moment. Um, anyway, go ahead. Uh, second story, it's uh, Kate, who's on the day of the hurricane, going to a wedding in New Jersey mm-hmm. in a really hideous bridesmaid's dress. Yeah. The panel of her, she's bantering about the merits of New Jersey with Clint. Uh, and I, well, it's the it's the state of the king of rock and roll, Bruce Kulick. He was the guitarist for Kiss from 84 to 96, and he was born in Brooklyn. Yeah, that's the end of that. She glowers at him and just points. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a side-to-side panel of her pointing to him. To I have like, a funny get, story get about that panel, actually. Please. <clears throat> um Anybody that follows me on Twitter knows that I constantly change my Twitter avatar. Mm-hmm. Uh, more than likely, it's just stuff that I found in comics that I thought was funny or cool looking or whatever. But um, I made my avatar that panel of Kate. Nice. Um, and it was very, um, I, I don't know, I don't, apropos, it was, it was, I had a, I have, I've had a, a personal situation going on where I've had an unwanted house guest. And this moment in the book was very much a mirror of that. And the look on her face and the pointing towards the door, I connected with that on a, on a very big level. And when I posted that, and I, I always say where the art comes from whenever I change my avatar, um, both artists of the book chimed in and corrected me that not the one that I said had done the other one. 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 So I ended up having this like funny conversation with Jesse Ham just because I posted Mm -hmm. the picture and um, they're both super cool guys. Uh, They do great work. And that panel in particular brought me many, many laughs uh, in a time that was very dark. Mm -hmm. So I appreciated this book on many, many, many levels. And also, I don't know if you read the letters. Yeah. Oh, that's such a sad story. It was a really sad story, but there was this, before the dark's column, there is, you know, editors talking about getting the book together. Ah, yeah. And he's talking about what Fraction is like suggesting these artists and they're trying to be these artists. And it ends up that Matt Fraction, Steve Lieber, and Jesse Ham share a studio in Portland. Yeah. And he's like, I got freaking fooled by Matt Fraction into <laughs> hiring his friends for this book. <laughs> it's really funny. It was a really funny story. But go ahead, Bob. Sorry. Yeah, uh, you. The, um, the story itself with Kate, she's at this wedding, hurricane shows up, someone needs medication goes swimming through a parking garage yeah find some bad guys in a, in a drugstore great ending her jersey rules panel is hysterical let me ask you this did sure. anybody catch that be when when sandy was on its way they were uh channel 12 news in particular was focusing on this girl who was getting married on the beach for oh, like really? two days, yeah. No, for yeah, about yeah. two days, they were talking. Were you still going through the wedding? Mm-hmm. And she was like, "Yeah, it's on. <laughs> you know, they're saying it's going to be bad, but it's not. You know, they always try to scare oh. us and blah blah blah." And immediately, when I was reading this, and that the first thing about the wedding came up, mm-hmm. that light went off in my head, and I was like, "I 
bet you that they heard that news story yeah. Yeah. and that's what triggered mm-hmm. this whole this whole little arc for for Kate. And um, you know, being from New York and being so close to Jersey, I mean, this obviously hits home for us on a different level than uh, you know yeah. people elsewhere. But um, it's just those little touches, those little personal touches of having gone through the storm and you know seeing people that were affected or people that were affected so much worse than we were. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was out mm-hmm. for eleven days; that yeah. was nothing. Yeah. There are people that are still without homes and, mm-hmm. and yeah. things like that. Um, so this book coming out the way it did. And then money being donated towards a good cause uh, as a result is just um, it's just a really, really nice thing that a comic book can do that Mm -hmm. for a community of people and that it can reach out to that many people. That's something that's so localized can become global because Mm -hmm. of the distribution of this comic and the popularity of the comic. Yeah, absolutely. And I could read an entire series about uh, Kate. Mm-hmm. Bishop, yes. like I, I, like I could just read her forever. It's just such. It's yeah. done by Matt Fraction, such a great, great character. And I think one of the things that makes this issue really great, and it's some, it's tough sometimes, you know, for superheroes to deal with real life issues because you don't want to, you know, denigrate what these people are risking their lives for. Um, but it is a great thing because Hawkeye is not a character with powers, so you know he's basically doing the same stuff that everyone else is doing. He's just you know, wading through the water like everyone else, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I think that's great. He doesn't call in the Avengers, you know, it's not... No. So and, I, I and, in bo- and in both stories, we see the real first responders, too. Yeah, yeah. Very, oh, very cool. car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing he runs out there for. And the moment where he, he realizes he doesn't know the guy's real name, uh, it's just, it's great stuff. It's, it's Hawkeye continues to be, you know, that, that book, like, you know, I, I will... I will be, you know, frothing at the mouth. Like when that yeah. when, we're, when I get to go to the comic book store, you know, and, and I get to send there like that, I, I just want to grab it out of Rob's yeah, hands. When, yeah, when Hawkeye comes out, you're yeah. like, ooh. Yeah, yeah, I get really, really excited. Um, so anything else, Bob? That's it for me. Steve, what, what do you got for us? I got Gambit number one. Oh no. Yeah. Um, it's funny that we were just, t- this is a perfect jump on uh, for this. We're talking about Hawkeye, and the the whole idea behind Hawkeye is that this is what he does when he's not being an Avenger. Yeah, and the whole thing with this Gambit is that this is Gambit when he's not being an X Men yeah. or an X Man or yeah. whatever. <laughs> um, so this book has kind of been a talking comic books running joke. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a listener, uh, Rep Stones, yeah, who um, just has been. On my ass for months and months and months. I mean, the book is what eight issues in now. Yeah, yeah. So for like eight months, um, he's been on my ass to read this book, and so I finally sat down and I read it. I was in a horrible mood when I read it. That's good. And it was no. It was just. It was great because I got. If I had read it at any other time or read it on my own, I would have hated it. I would have said it's it's poor. It doesn't interest me beyond the first issue. Mm-hmm. It's very cliche, um, but because of the hype, the joking hype from him, mm-hmm. I just I laughed the, my my whole way through this. I mean, the opening panel is Gambit's bare ass in a shower, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then later on they got him in this like in this skin tight uh, Mission Impossible suit, and he's totally doing like the pouty pinup thing. Yeah. And if had it not been uh, for our our loyal loyal follower and listener uh, Rep Stones, I would not not have gotten the enjoyment out of this that I did. <laughs> but it is not my book of the week. 
not my book of the week at all. He's going to be very upset. Right. Um, <laughs> I have my pile here. Hawkeye was great. Uh, I'm really enjoying the Superior Spider-Man. Um, really enjoying it. I I like the direction. I thought it was better than um, than the first issue. I'm very excited today that number three is coming out so quickly and that we get to push this story along. I think a lot of people are upset with the, the, the direction that this is going, but mm-hmm. me, I'm excited. Between uh, Ryan Stegman's art is just over-the-top good for a, for, um, a Spider-Man book, mm-hmm. and I love um, the angle with uh, Carly. Yeah. That mm-hmm. she... I'm not going to spoil anything, but she basically... some Everybody else is... Kind of like they're they're talking about him being different, but nobody's actually acting or or taking enough mm-hmm. notice that they're they're going to investigate. And she remembers something that happened uh, prior to to the events that that caused this whole thing, and a light goes off in she her head. She smells a little poop. She yeah, yeah, she's, <laughs> she's, she smells some spider poop. Yeah, and uh, she's you know she's going to investigate. She's going to mm-hmm. get down get get down to business and. Um, I liked her character very much from Spider Island, so I'm very excited to see her uh, come into the into the foreground again mm-hmm. and kind of be the detective. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that's her job, but it's yeah. just really cool that, you know, things are going to start to unravel, I think, very quickly. And if I could make a prediction, what I think is going to happen is uh, he could possibly get exposed and all the rumors and all the... the little things that we've been hearing about him getting kicked out of things and all mm. the stuff that might be to come. I think that it's going to be a situation where he does get exposed or he does get outed and it just triggers this thing in him that there's just this huge backlash. Yeah. And that's going to be the bulk. It's just a prediction. but yeah. I mean, I do think that what it does do is it does definitely uh, solve the issue I had with the first uh, installment, which was that Otto is not a, a, an enjoyable character to read. It, it definitely changes here. I mean, it's helped by the fact that Peter is back in like that ghostish form or what what have you. Uh, but and his his voice and his humor it, it, it livens the book up. But you know, other than that, you see Otto kind of doing things that are um, more uh, savory and, and and with more morality and he makes decisions mm. that are a little bit more he's trying to be a good guy and the decision he makes at the end of the book mm-hmm. is actually very interesting and very different so I, I I'm enjoying it and I'm liking where it's going and I'm you know I definitely feel better about this than I did about number one um, I'm just gonna go through these really yeah. quick um, anybody that's not reading journey into mystery please pick up this book I have a feeling it's not gonna last very long it's so much fun. Uh, Sif goes is, is infected with uh, like Berserker's disease, and it's just it's it's epic on on a level that only the you know the universe of of Thor can contain. And it's just anybody that's not reading it, try to pick it up, borrow it from a friend. Um, I'm enjoying the hell out of it. And I think other people should give it a chance. I think mm-hmm. it's one of those books that got hurt by not being a number one. Uh, in the Marvel Now uh, relaunch or whatever the hell they want to call it. So, uh, moving on. Masters of the Universe, Origin of He-Man. Um, little disappointed by yeah. by this. Uh, I was crazy, crazy, crazy for the origin of uh, Skeletor when it came out a few months back. Uh, absolutely loved, loved, loved that issue. 
it gave so much depth and so much background to a character that I'd never known anything about. And it really made me psyched for this issue. Mm -hmm. And what I found about this was that it was like you were even though there were, you know, regular sized comic books, I felt like I was reading a moment and that was it. Um, There wasn't much depth given to the He-Man character. And this is supposed to be an origin that it was more like a moment and a conversation, like a decree of responsibilities, not necessarily a coming to, you know, story. And um, for how good the Skeletor one was, I was really kind of disappointed. But with that said, if um, Joshua Hale Fialkov ever decided to do a run of He-Man, I would totally read it. But I just, this was kind of off-putting. If there was only going to be two of these, you know, two sides of the coin where one is pretty spectacular and the other one's like, eh, mm-hmm. it's, it was a shame. Yeah. I was rooting for more for Skeletor in this book than yeah, I well, was. Well, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's got that character down. Yeah. He's really, he's mm-hmm. quite, you know, he's awesome, but, uh, I don't know. There was something about it. Just didn't. It just didn't uh, gel with me. But my biggest problem. One thing. Yeah. My biggest problem with it is just that it feels like he stumbles into being He Man. Right. It's like he like lands in the like when he gets punched, he lands in the right place where his hands in the you know it's it's just it, it doesn't feel like a choice. It doesn't feel like a step. And maybe it's just because it's more interesting to tell the story of how this villain became a villain than this hero mm-hmm. who was already a good guy became a bigger good guy. Right. You know. But it, it's just deadly disappointing. Yes. Yeah. Um. One of my books, I guess, we'll we'll talk about it in a bit. I have, I have a feeling you're going to talk about it. Yeah. But uh, my number one book of the week is Emily and the Strangers, number mm-hmm. one, uh, from Dark Horse. Um, I guess um, written by uh, Rob Reiger. And I'm assuming, I don't have the book open, that Maria uh, Huner is the artist. Okay. Okay. If I'm wrong, I apologize. <laughs> um, I really, really, really enjoyed this. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, ever since reading... This is My Little Pony. You could say what you want about the show. I don't like the show. I don't. I only have one of the figures. It was a Christmas gift, a gag gift. Thank you. But um, the My Little Pony series, if anything, has taught me that you really can't judge a book until you read it. Mm-hmm. Um, the My Little Pony books have been great. They're funny. They're colorful. They're creative. All of that stuff. And there's really great people writing on them and working on them and it's only going to get better and I'm very excited and I can't believe I'm saying that about a My Little Pony book (laughs) but it's totally true Mm -hmm. so when Emily the Strange was coming out or I just something said to me you know what you've always wanted to see what this character is about I've never picked up an Emily the Strange book before I know that she's got volumes of things that have Mm -hmm. come out in the past but I've always seen the character as kind of a like a hot topic uh, marketing thing that it was just so niche for that group of people that it was so obvious that you're going to have Emily Strange, you know, the bangs, the goth, the cats, the look. And I just assumed that it was fluff, mm-hmm. you know, and that was a mistake on my part. I don't know if the other books are like this one, but if they are, I'd like to check them out. Uh, the art is absolutely gorgeous. Just like the My Little Pony books, it's very complex and very uh, just pretty to look at. There's one page in particular where she's making a plan and she's mapping out. She's a very, very smart uh, person. And this page is filled, filled with schematics 
and equations and all of these things that she's figuring out. I never knew that about this character, that she was actually smart. I thought she was just gloomy and it was, you know, goth jokes and funny and stuff like that. It's much, much more than that. Uh, Highly, highly enjoyable. If you're thinking about picking it up at all, pick it up. If you're a lover of music, uh, it's, again, like in the vein of uh, Marceline from uh, Adventure Time, Marceline and the Scream Queens, that pays tribute to music and the love of music in a in a very big way that, as we mentioned either later or earlier in the show, I don't remember anymore, <laughs> <laughs> that uh, I am a very, very big music uh, fan or music nerd. So anything where they pay tribute to that art form and they do it well and they do it with character mm-hmm. that she speaks in a certain way that they she has her own language and it makes sense it's not silly it's not it's not anything but enjoyable and it it maps to who she is Mm -hmm. and it pulled me into her world like I'm a little I'm a little wary of anyone else in the comic who isn't Emily the the dude that she meets um, I'm a little iffy on I'm gonna see where his character goes but as far as Emily is concerned, she's very interesting, and I really am curious to see uh, where this goes. I don't know if it's a one of something or if it's a it's a it ongoing. A, I think it is a one of something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm on board. Very uh, very left field. If this is if like I said, if the other books are anything like this one, if any of our listeners know that and you want to, you know, get at me or whatever, you can email <clears throat> me. You can find me on Twitter. That uh, I'd really I'd be curious to know because if if that's the case, I would love to check out the other books. Mm-hmm. Plus cats. Oh, everywhere. <laughs> yeah, they're fucking everywhere, they and and they up the ante in that. There's there's like a I don't want I don't want to spoil it, but there's just they're everywhere, and just like that avenging Spider Man issue from last year with mm-hmm. She Hulk. Where there were cats everywhere. If you've got a shit ton of cats in your book, I'm going to love it because I love cats. True. It's absolutely true. Yes. All right. So that's your book of the week. Um, I'm going to do a couple of quick hits as well. Uh, Justice League Dark, uh, I feel like, has really kind of hit its stride right now. They're doing this really cool storyline where the the League is in this kind of other dimension, like the origin of magic dimension, and it's almost like... fables in verse almost type of thing um it's really really cool and the character work has been really really good and, and um it, it's a book i'm gaining excitement excitement for more and more as i, I desperately read it. need to catch up with that um it's been really good and the, the the it felt like lemire took a little while to kind of ramp into telling the stories of this group but i think now it, it's in its stride um quick mara number two uh i was i liked the first issue didn't love it the, the second issue definitely uh, amped it up for me and kind of uh, took it to another level. And now I'm very, very excited about keeping reading that book. Plus, it's just beautiful to look at. Um, but uh, my book of the week is actually twofold, uh, but it incorporates one character. This it, I, My book of the week, I think, is really more Damian Wayne than... Um, character of the week. Character yeah. of the week. Uh, so first, uh, the, sec- the, the, the lesser of the two great books that he was involved in, uh, Batman Inc., uh, number seven, uh, we're the culmination of a rather big storyline right now, and obviously we're kind of barreling towards the end of Morrison's uh, uh, whole Batman experience. Um, this is a big moment for Damien, and he does a couple of really awesome things, uh, and some really great interactions with Alfred that 
if you've been reading this series, you're, you're just going to love. Um, and, it, and there's a lot of fallout from a rather big thing that happened in issue six. Uh, you know, Which I still don't know. Yeah, you don't still know it? I'm, I'm not going to spoil it, but uh, some fallout from a rather tr- a major event that's happened. Um, Batman Inc. is a great book, and it, it takes a little bit to get into. Obviously, you, you really do need to go back and at least read the first volume that is now out. Uh, it's definitely, definitely a continuation of that, but there's so much going on and so much rich tapestry. It really... Rob was here last week talking about how he feels the DC Universe doesn't feel connected anymore, and this is definitely one of those vestiges of the old DC Universe that's very oh. connected. So definitely check this out if you if you like that kind of stuff. And if you like Morrison, you should be reading it. Hmm. Um, but... Uh, my book of the week, my book book of the week is yeah. uh, Batman and Robin Annual number one. So good. Which is another Damien-centric story. And just, you know, last week again, we were talking about the lack of kind of fun books that existing in the DC universe. And along comes Batman and Robin Annual to kind of breathe that life uh, into the Batman universe of all places. Um, and the story is simple. I mean, it's basically... Uh, Damien has decided to send Bruce on this scavenger hunt kind of through his past, through the, through his life and through, you know, who his family is and who his parents were, stuff that he maybe doesn't know. Um, and Damien is kind of saying this whole time that he's one step ahead of Bruce and he's playing these clues in these, in these foreign countries, but really Damien is doing it to get Bruce out of town so he can be Batman for a couple yep. of days. Um, and... The nice thing about it, though is it's not just it's not Damien sending Bruce on a wild goose chase. There is like some real emotional stuff that Bruce goes mm-hmm. through on his journey, and you get to see Damien and what he would do if he was Batman. Mm-hmm. And you know, you know, I, I was looking at it and I was like, okay, it's Pete, Pete Tomasi who I've been loving this run. Different artist, so I'm I'm not so psyched about that, but I'll check it out. I'll, I'll, it's probably gonna be pretty good. I just went crazy for it. As I read it, every page I turned, I just got more and more invested in it. And, um, I, I loved it. I mean, Steve, what did you think? Uh, I, <clears throat> whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Coffee and whiskey is not mixing well. <laughs> um, I agree with, uh, everything you just said. I, that was, that is my book of the week. Uh, I knew you were going to be talking about it. Just a wonderful, Damien's my favorite Robin, mm-hmm. one of my favorite characters in the DC universe period. And it's just, it's such a, it's such a show, a showcasing and such a send off to what Batman and Robin at its core is truly about that. It's a, a father and son tale and that it's a, it's a, it's a story of proof mm-hmm. and worthiness and taking up the mantle Yeah, and just the carefully laid plans, the little hitches that, you know, kind of screw up the works. And mm. there's so much Damien and Bruce, I, I believe, are so much more alike than any of the other wards or Robins mm. that have come, you know, come and gone in the past and moved on and whatnot. But to use this word again, it was a very tender mm-hmm. issue of of the book and it was just so much fun yeah the the moments of damien going around gotham and and cleaning up and you know uh, using using the batman the batman voice yeah yeah and everything his own version of the batman Mm -hmm. voice and pulling a lot of batman's tricks yeah that it was just so cool to see that he would be able to take up the cowl Mm -hmm. if you know if there was a call for it that he Mm -hmm. could do it yeah and I love the fact that Damien is able to outsmart Batman mm-hmm. 
it's it just it's further proof of of how smart he is and just how clever that particular character that his his breeding has made mm. him that way and that the way that they they painted him to be a villain that those villainous traits that he has just makes him a better hero yeah you can quote me on that. Yeah, um, I mean, he fooled him to an extent. But by the end of the yeah. issue, you realize he didn't really fool him. No, well, but you know, but Bruce is just trying to be a, a better dad. Yeah. Uh, so, what did you think? No, about I was, uh, I just read it before we came yeah. on the air, and as I was reading it, it's like, come on, Bruce would have figured that out, and mm-hmm. he, and then he had, but he wanted to let this play out, wanted yeah. to see what Damien was doing. Mm-hmm. This reminds me of a story, not a particular story, but the era when Alan Davis was doing Batman. We're going back, you know, 25 years. It is fun. Bruce is a detective, mm-hmm. which we don't see much anymore. Uh, great stuff with Alfred here. Yeah, the Alfred stuff is really great. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I would hate that something bad happens to Alfred yeah. after now <laughs> having read how great this issue is. Mm-hmm. The moment when Damien answers the bat signal yeah. is, is just classic. Yeah. And I love that he's just not, he just doesn't quite know how to, he's seen the stuff his dad does, and he knows how to do all the, really the physical aspect mm-hmm. of it, and he's smart enough to do that, but he just doesn't have the practical applications, like the moat in the back of the car. Yeah, I was just going to say, why would you do that? You yeah. know, and, and you've seen Batman do that a million times, but he knows exactly when to do that, so the, the thing that happens doesn't happen, and you know, the, the collateral damage occurs because Damien just doesn't quite know the right time or the right way to mm-hmm. go about it, and I, I love that aspect of it no it's great and you know we've said it many times we beat the drum a couple times but what peter tomasi's doing in the batman run books is really really great stuff and it gets overlooked because the snyder stuff is obviously so big and the focus and it deserves to be the focus it's not, there, there's no question about that but this is a book that definitely deserves people to be reading because you know it's just got a, a great feeling to it and you're fleshing out the characters yeah and that's just vital if, if you're going to tell a big action story somewhere else they have to be about real people and here's yeah. where they shine yeah it's it's great and, and you know you could really kind of as long as you know that damien is a bruce's son you could pick this up and read this really without having read the rest of the run you know absolutely you definitely get more out of it knowing the character but there's definitely a, a sense of kind of standalone to to the story mm-hmm. Um, there's some cool callbacks too, because this costume is very much like the Batman six six six. The Morrison stories where he tells about Damien yeah. in the future after he's taken over as Batman. Huh? Yeah. There's one that was I think that was Batman Inc. number five. I think they did that in, and it was also back um, in when Morrison was doing Batman. I have so he, much catching up to do. It's disgusting. When he first well, there's a lot of Morrison Batman stuff. There's like six years of it. So, um, oops. Yeah. <laughs> great but uh yeah so uh i guess that's it for our book of the week um we're gonna bring melissa on come back and we're going to talk about our favorite horror comics Joined by Talking Comics contributor uh, Melissa Megan, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. Of course, I know we are going to talk about horror comics, and you know anybody who reads the site knows that you kind of uh, cover a lot of that stuff that goes up on the site. So 
we definitely wanted to have you here all week. Kind of talked about why we love horror comics and stuff like that. So, being that you're our uh, uh, our guest of honor, I guess I'd say, um, what is it that draws you to to horror comics? Um, well, I'm drawn to horror in general. I mean, I it's pretty much my favorite genre in film too. So, um, you know, <laughs> being watched. Um, so yeah, the. I don't know, horror comics are just... I, I've always enjoyed comics that are a little bit off the beaten path. Mm-hmm. Um, something a little different and um, a little edgier, mm-hmm. I guess you could say. Um, I've never really gotten into the hero, superhero stories that much. Um, so, yeah, I guess it just it offers a little bit something um, creepier and a little bit, you know, darker than what you find in the majority of the comic genre. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I mean, I love horror movies too. I mean, Steve, I know you, you love horror movies. I grew, I grew up on horror movies. Yeah. And Bob obviously as well. Sure. And some of them even had sound. <laughs> my first, uh, my first movie in a movie theater ever was uh, nightmare on Elm street. That was my first movie. Oh, three, wow. Three That's years old. That's a pretty intense movie. Yeah, my mom was movie. pretty pissed off when she found out that when she went out for the day, my dad, <laughs> uh, we had a friend that owned the theater, and he took my sister and I to go and see it. And uh, one of the things that I have hanging in my house that is one of my most treasured items ever, um, it's a one-of-one one original art of um, Jack Torrance, uh, Mike Myers, Freddy Krueger, and Jason. And at the bottom, uh, it's from my dad, and it says, uh, never forget your childhood friends. Nice. Love, love, love dad. Nice. It's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I used to, I remember used to, you know, renting movies by the the fistload when it was still VHS, and we would me and my friends would you know like tape up the curtains and put towels and you know stuff on yeah. the door so there was just pitch black in the room and just sit there and watch horror movies you know over you know just in in mass binge on horror movies. What's your favorite? My favorite horror movie of all time. Um, I mean, it's. Probably The Exorcist, which is I know is a thing that people everyone says, but mine's it's, very cliche as well. It's definitely the movie that scares me the most, and I, I think it's generally a great movie. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so it, it. What about you? What's yours? The Shining. Great, great one as well. Terrifying. Yeah. What about you, Bob? Psycho. Psycho. And what about you, Melissa? Uh, it's a really tough question for me, but The Shining is definitely probably in my top two. Nice. What's what's what else uh, is in your top two? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm gonna break um, her brain. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I I guess I might even put um, Nightmare on Elm Street, the first one, up there, just because it's such a big part of my childhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here, here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, and for me also, uh, you know, there's some relatively more recent ones that have been really effective for me too, like The Descent. Love that one. Um, really got to me. Like it scared the hell out of me. Um, and that's cool. What Insidious? 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 Yeah. Also quite scary. Fucked that was me great. up for four days. Yeah. I I had a. It was it was in the summer that I saw it, and mm. I had a. It's a little ghetto, but I don't care. The air conditioner doesn't really reach throughout the entire house, so we uh, put up a sheet to divide the room. So for those couple of days, every time that I would have to go use the bathroom, I would have to remove this sheet to go into the dining room. Mm -hmm. And every single time that I would reach for it and move it, I'd think there was something on the other side. (laughs) And it uh, that movie just it it got to me on some level that Mm -hmm. it didn't get to a lot of other people, but it got to me. So there's a movie that did that to me actually too, and that was uh, The Grudge. Uh yeah. I met so many people who thought it was absolutely ridiculous, but I, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't lift the sheet in my bed for a long time. 
I don't know if you remember, there's a scene in that movie where the, the uh, demon is actually in the sheet yep. under the bed. Yep. And it's like, they, they can't go there. You know, that's supposed to be, that's no man's land. Like, that's safe. Did you see the <laughs> second one? No, because I, <laughs> the first one scared me so bad. There's, I think it's one of the only horror movies that I will not watch the the second yeah. one. There's this scene where they're they're talking in a room and all of a sudden they hear whoa, uh, <laughs> they hear thumping on a wall and they're they're not sure of of what's going on and they don't tell you until later in the movie that it was actually two people hanging from the ceiling and swaying back and forth and bumping into the wall no. as they were swaying. That was just beyond. That messed me up too. Mm. Horrible subtitles, but <laughs> fuck me up nonetheless. Uh, the Ring actually is a movie that scared the hell out of me. Um, yeah. Except for kind of, I'm talking about the American remake of it yeah. too. Except for the kind of bad CG ending, mm-hmm. uh, which didn't scare me. But the the atmosphere of that movie is just so tense from moment A till you know basically just before the ending um, that you know it had me so tense the entire time that I, I, I felt rattled after it was over. So. Um, yeah, so I mean, we all love the horror genre, obviously, uh, and we figured, you know, we were gonna do this around Halloween, and the the, the hurricane happened, and we kind of <laughs> everything got kind of pushed back, and then we kind of just lost Halloween, so Ooh. we never really went back to it. Um, it's always Halloween, and with you know uh, uh. Melissa being on the show, and also we have an interview for you guys on Friday with Casar uh, Gambari and Menton Three of Forty Four Flood. We figured it's a great time to talk about you know some comics that kind of freak <laughs> us out. Um, and you know, scare us. So I kind of want to, Bob, go to you first. Um, cause you know, as always, you give us a little context, you sure. know, about what's going on. Well, horror comics, if we really want to talk, we, I've got a whole little pile of the old EC reprints, mm-hmm. which more, more people know than anything else, I guess, from television, you know, Tales from the Crypt on HBO. Yeah. But they were groundbreaking in their time. It, they were very literary. They used Poe and Lovecraft and Shakespeare and turned everything upside down. Uh, found themselves out of business because of you know public pressure because of other people's comics that weren't quite so well done rather more gruesome than anything else hard disappeared for a long time in comics and then eventually it was sort of giant monster books which we're going to hear about from one of our guests uh, where Marvel was doing well just before they became a superhero company it was giant monsters Fin Fang Foom and Groot and Glop and <laughs> all sorts of other crazy things I like the um, names well, horror was banned because of the comics code. You couldn't have the word horror, terror, weird, shock. There were, none of these things were allowed in titles anymore. <laughs> um, after the, the drug issues, the Spider-Man anti-drug issues the government commissioned uh, with Harry Osborn, and then in Green Arrow, Green Lantern, things changed, and Marvel started doing horror again. And... Right out of the bat, it was Mobius living vampire in a Spider-Man issue. They figured they could go halfway, science vampire. And, well, you know, he wasn't the living dead. No, that's not what I'm laughing at. It's just a great, like, subtitle for something. The science Mobius vampire? science vampire. Science vampire. <laughs> well, you have to copyright that yeah. quickly. Yes. Um, but then right out of the box, they went for Tomb of Dracula, which took them a couple of issues to find their way, but I wrote a piece about it back in October. Uh, find them for yourselves. They are, it's Dracula as the lead character. He is regal, imperious, hideously evil, and you root for him. Mm-hmm. It is mostly Marv Wolfman from about the sixth issue on through issue 70. It's the greatest horror comic that isn't an anthology that's ever been published. And there are now omnibus volumes and black and white ones. Check out that. And then, 
Yeah, I did a lot of searching. You know, I was you know we were talking about doing this topic, so I did a lot of searching about best horror comics and stuff like that. And no matter what the list was, never it was uh, an older list, a newer list, that was always on and near and near the top. Yeah, uh, Gene Colan's art—it's tremendously atmospheric. You feel the swirling mist. You feel the cold as you see Dracula. These terrible things, and sometimes he's fighting for the good guys because there's somebody even worse than he is. Mm-hmm. So they find themselves well for this one week. We got to be on uh, on Dracula's side. Is that where Blade? That's where Blade. It's issue seven, I believe. I did write this down somewhere. I think it's issue seven. Wow. Blah blah. blah. Maybe it's Sorry. issue ten. <laughs> I'll let you know. It's on here somewhere. Bob's got to consult his notes. I've always got notes. Well, forget it. He's got notes and books and... It's in there somewhere. Yeah, it's in there somewhere. It's in there somewhere. Well, Melissa, what are some of your favorite horror comics right now? Criminal Macabre is always one of my top favorites because it's so much fun. It's just, you know, it's different stories every time and so many different crazy characters and... You know, Cal McDonald is just such a classic kind of grumpy, drunken old man, you know? <laughs> um, well, I mean, a lot of people out there listening might not know what Criminal Cobb is about, yeah. you know, and what, what it is. Me, for instance. Yeah, like Bob. So <laughs> oh. would you tell Bob what it is? Uh, well, Criminal Macabre is a long-running series by uh, written by Steve Niles, and it's all about Cal McDonald, who is a, um, a detective of sorts. He hunts down uh, demons and ghouls and anything of the supernatural sort. Uh, but he's got, he's got, um, he's got some issues with drugs and he drinks a lot and, you know, he's, uh, he's just kind of a really rough around the edges guy. Um, but the stories are tons of fun and there's been so many different artists on there. Uh, Ben Templesmith has done it for a while. Um, there's lots of, lots of great artists working on it. And, uh, who is it? Uh, Christopher Min- uh, Mitten. Yep. Mm-hmm. Who uh, we talked to Menton about earlier. He's actually doing it now. Awesome. Um, it's a really um, great series. There's tons and tons of stuff out there. Is it now? Is it one continuous story, or is it kind of you know individual storylines like little arcs, and you can kind of pick it yeah. up wherever? Yep. Lots of little individual arcs. Um, actually, one of my top ten for 2012 was one called uh, "Criminal Macabre: The Iron Spirit," which was a one shot um, mm. that was out last year. And it was a really great, creepy story about um, a general, military general, who, I don't want to give the whole thing away, but he uh, made a big mistake um, with some of his soldiers and was uh, being haunted and badly abused by the ghosts of these soldiers. Yeah, Criminal Macabre has a lot of um, classic elements to it. Um, yeah. I have I have everything, so I'll let oh, you. Yeah, yeah definitely I, like this. I pillaged uh, Rob's basement. I remember for this. Yeah, yeah, I I got everything that I could possibly get my hands on, and then filled in all the gaps afterwards. But yeah, um, I'll, I'll loan you some. Yeah, no, it sounds like it's right up my alley. It's like a film noir horror. But this is what it sounds like, and it's hilarious. Yeah, too. it's got a great sense of humor. It doesn't take itself too seriously, which is really fun. Very cool. Um, I agree. So I I'd, started, say, I'd say Lock and Key, too, is definitely one of my top favorites. Oh, yeah, I actually we, just today <laughs> read the first volume for the first time. Um, really? Yeah. Bobby's, Bobby's uh, Lock and Key cherry was popped. Yeah, it was. <laughs> and I, I literally finished reading the last page, picked up my phone, went on Amazon, and ordered the second volume as nice. soon yeah. as I finished the first one. Uh, and I expected to love it. And from everyone who's told me about it, I figured I would love it. Um, but, you know, it has all of the things that I love about narratives, you know, it has, 
you know, a dense mythology that, you know, that it plays off of, but doesn't reveal to you all at one time and, you know, parses out information to you in, in, in very interesting, uh, uh, unique ways and, and does a lot of flashbacks, which is something that I really, you know, I, I, I always love in stories and does them very artfully and has a bunch of very quirky, interesting characters throughout it um, and really kind of is, is gory and, and has a lot of violence in it, but it never feels overdone or, or too much. It feels like it's at the level of where the story needs it to be. And, and I was blown away by, you know, what I read. You haven't seen, you dude, you haven't seen anything yet. I'm sure I haven't. No. I'm sure I haven't. It, it, but. it blows open and, and get, they add so many other elements to it mm-hmm. as it gets more complicated that yeah. just, it turns the story on its ass. It's so good. Yeah. There was this m- moment right at the beginning of, of the first volume and it's been Bodhi, he's outside and he's like, using like his treasure finder mm-hmm. thing. And he's like trying to explain it. And he goes, it's very technical, you know? <laughs> and it's just like a, a, a can on like a hook, you know? Yeah. But I just, th- that little bit of personality m- mixed with the, the kind of intensity that happens around it just is, uh, uh, it's just perfect. It's got it's a very, very, it's very psychological. It's got kind of a psychological thriller twist to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Not straight on horror. And, and all of the characters, you know, like all, stories that are you know a lot of most great stories are all have a a pain in their lives and i mean obviously it starts with a huge event that kind of shapes an entire family's you know life but you know each of them deals with in a different way and seeing the way they each deal with it and seeing their personal pain and having their kind of insecurities play out around how they deal with this house is all just very very interesting and makes it scarier because you fear for them when they get into trouble. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. Um, abs- that that was fantastic. I'm uh, glad you liked it. I I did. I loved it. And I another thing I've been loving, and I kind of talked about it a little bit, but you know, I've I'm totally caught up on Rachel Rising mm-hmm. now, and you know, it, it, it's also not a straight on horror comic, but it's about a girl who comes back from the dead, and there's lots of you know death happening around her in a, in a town that is seemingly cursed by something um and it has scary moments and intense moments and the it has one of those things where you, you, nothing feels safe you know you don't know who's safe and there are these characters that you you really really love and you have no idea when the the shoe's gonna their shoe's gonna drop you know on them and uh it's a gorgeous book to look at and you know it's one of those series where you know, you you start reading it, and all of a sudden, you've read twelve issues, and you don't even know where mm. that time went. You know, right? So it's definitely a book, and it's not traditionally scary, but it's definitely a a book that people should be reading if they like, you know, horror books. Um, Steve, what are, what are some of your favorite stuff going on right now? Um, some of my favorite horror books. I mean, I've uh, I've talked about them on the podcast, one of them quite a while ago, uh, called Done to Death, mm-hmm. which was uh, written by Andrew Foley, and surprise, surprise, Fiona Staples does yeah. the art before she was the golden child of uh, Image Comics. It's true. So, um, Done to Death is a is a take on the whole Twilight, and not even just Twilight, but all the... All the things that were spawned because of it, that when you go to a Barnes & Noble and you pass, like... 
you know, teen <laughs> horror heartthrob drama. Like they now have their own section of of this of the store. Yeah, we went from Fabio to vampires, right? <laughs> and what this what this is about is it's about an editor who has to read all this schlock and all this drivel, and just she's sick and tired of it. So she takes it upon herself to now like just to kill the people that would be writing these things. And um, the story kind of gets turned when an actual vampire comes into the fold and decides to speak up for, you know, his, his, I, I don't even know what you call his role mm-hmm. in that whole thing. And uh, it's the, the art is um, not what you would expect from Fiona. It's very, um, I, I call it like very like fashion school, Mm-hmm. Kind of stuff. Um, lots of paint. Lots of uh, dark, dark colors. Not nearly as vibrant as uh, Saga. What you know? What most people are used to mm-hmm. from her. Um, but gorgeous nonetheless. And a very, um, very funny and very dark, dark uh, tone to the whole thing. And you really, the characters you're supposed to hate, you hate them. And the people that you want to see triumph, like you really do root for them, even though you're not supposed to because they're they're kind of killing people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but there's a little part of you that hates that, you know, that whole culture, mm-hmm. I guess. Well, if you're me. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, it's it's interesting that we were talking to Castro uh, Gambari and Menton 3 earlier that they were mentioning. Well, they're going to hear it later. They're going to hear it later. Yeah. But we already talked to them. But. Yes. <laughs> Um, magic of radio. Yeah. yeah, but one of the things that Kazar was saying, like the things uh, you asked what scares him. Mm. And I related, I'm not going to say what he said, but I related very, very closely and very much to what he was talking about. And a book that I read, I believe it was uh, late, late last year the, by Kevin Colden, put out by IDW called Fishtown. Um, I talked about this a few months back, but I mean, I've only read this book once. But it's stuck with me. I I sat down. I read it all the way through, like in a doctor's office or something like that. And I just they're looking at my face as I'm reading this book, and they're like, "What are you reading? Are you okay?" <laughs> and what it is is it's uh, about this town, very very small town. Uh, all anybody does is take drugs and fuck, and that's all there is to do. And these kids get it into their heads that they're gonna commit a crime, and. The crime is so vicious and so real that the book is about things and that happen in real life and people that are really out there and that there are people that commit crimes that when they're arrested, when they're taken in and they're questioned and things like that, they're hollow about what they've done. Mm -hmm. They're soulless. Like there are people that, that, you know, they regret it. They break down and then there are the people that are just kind of vacant and they sit there and they said, well, it was the plan all along. And this is a book about those people, about people that have no remorse, that do not care that they took this life and the way that they took it and how deceitful they were and just the whole way it was orchestrated. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the kind of shit that scares me. Right, yeah. Um like I said, I mean I love I love horror movies. Um I've become a little um disconnected with them over the past few years. I just don't have enough time for them, but I do love them. But uh I mean I grew up on Jason, Freddy, you know, Michael Myers. I still to this day have dreams involving those characters almost on like a semi-monthly basis. They'll pop up. Hmm. And it's interesting that as a kid it used to scare me. 
And I used to run to my mom and things like that because they were, you know, these characters from these movies that were, you know, invading my dreams. I didn't understand how that worked. Now, when that happens the past couple of years, it's almost like seeing an old friend as like weird as that might sound. But you need better friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, oh, no, believe me, I do. But uh, I got some good ones. But anyway, uh, yeah, I don't know. Horror for me, uh, stuff with Animal Man and Swamp Thing going on in the, the DC universe with Rot World and everything. I mean, Animal Man from Jeff Lemire has just been, in case you didn't know, uh, <laughs> we don't talk about him enough. No, we don't. But Animal Man kind of hit me by surprise because I did not expect it to have such a overwhelming horror element while still remaining very much a family book mm-hmm. and about, you know, the savior of man and, and you know, this avatar being this little girl with all of these horrific creatures coming into this world. Yeah. And it's just, it really it blew my mind and it, it completely sucked me in because I'm reading a hero book, but at the same time, there's such a heavy, heavy horror element to it that it was speaking to two different loves of mine. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was a great marriage of material. Yeah, it, there's some, definitely a kind of some proliferation of horror elements into the more mainstream books. I mean, obviously, in Snyder's Swamp Thing as well, there's definitely a horror element to what's happening there. Most because that animal man are so connected in, in mm-hmm. the way they're made. Um, it's a funny thing, like, you know, you, we I always talk about how you know, um, funny and lighthearted Daredevil is, but there are definitely elements of like a horror book running through that with the coyote who like, you know, that he, he, he can you know teleport and he like teleports people's body parts off of themselves, you know? <laughs> and there's stuff that is definitely, there's horror elements that run through that stuff. And it's interesting. And you listen to Mark Wade talk about, it and he says it's part of the reaction to kind of, because there's this weird perception of Daredevil that it's like a silver age, like telling of the character and he's like, it's not. And he's like, so we want to make sure people realize that that's not what we're doing. So oh. it's interesting how that kind of m- moves into other things. You know, American Vampire, which is obviously a Vertigo book, and now mm-hmm. Snyder got to start, but very deep horror elements there. Very vicious, you know, tough stuff. I mean, um, Melissa, is there any other books? I mean, you're reading that are horror? Um, well, I'm always reading a lot of horror stuff, but I, you guys just made me think of another one that I actually I want to add to that list, and that's uh, Green Wake. Oh yes! Oh, love Green I was Wake. really a late comer to that. I didn't. I didn't read that until about four months ago, mm. um, and I just I devoured it in, in I think a week. I just read all of them, um, and that just blew me away. I'm a huge fan of Riley Rossmo to begin with, but I just never had a chance to pick that one up. And it's got all those great, you know. It's got the scary, the scary creatures. It's got the psychological aspect of you know these people who feel guilty for things that they've done. And this weird, strange world that they disappear into, um, and just you know, they and I think there was even some a little bit of like a a weird political thing thrown in there mm-hmm. um, with the strange, you know, religious. Uh, oh God, what was his name? Um, the the creepy kind of religious leader. Oh yeah, in the second volume, right? Yeah, oh, I can't remember yeah. his name. Either. I can't remember his name either, but I know I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. 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 But, you know, Bob asking Kazra the question about what scares him um, brings up a really great point, too, in that what I really love about horror is that it's so relative. It's it's something that everybody is afraid of something different. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, you can talk to, ask seven people about one horror movie or one horror comic, and, you know, half of those people will say they thought it was really silly, and the other half will say they were terrified of it. Because, um, you know, some people are scared of what they think is real, like the serial killer, the guy that might show up with an axe on your doorstep. Mm -hmm. uh, some people think that the supernatural stuff is terrifying, or aliens are terrifying, or, you know, mm -hmm. it's... And some people are more afraid of the actual... Uh, the psychological terror that can happen inside your head. Mm -hmm. and it's not on the outside. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Loss of identity, you know, body yeah. snatchers sort of idea. Right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, that might be a cool thing for us to talk about as well. Like what, you know, it's funny to think about what scares you. Cause it's, it's almost a very personal thing, you know, it, it, and it's it probably requires a level of depth of thinking about yourself that, you know, a lot of times you don't go that far because it's not something you really want to deal with. You Need know, more whiskey. And a lot of times, yeah, yeah exactly. You Maybe a little drunk, you need to have your head down on the bar. You know. Uh. <laughs> well, this reminds me. There's a movie that was it, it was remade in the '80s, but in the '50s it was Invaders from Mars. Mm -hmm. And when I saw it as a little kid, it was one of the scariest things I had ever seen. A little boy looks out his window and sees a flying saucer crash in his backyard. And as the movie goes on, the Martians take over the, the town and his parents and the police and everything else. And it was just very effective beyond that, you know, the back of his yard looked like the back of mine. Mm -hmm. The same little fence in the back and behind my backyard was a Revolutionary War cemetery and a giant sand pit, just like where the Martians were in this movie. Years later, I read the, the director describing he wanted to make a movie that was scary for little kids. So the whole movie is shot from a child's perspective. It's like peanuts. It's shot from the ground up. Everything is huge. The policeman's desk is 12 feet in the air. <laughs> and it's a child's safety net taken away one at a time. His parents, the police, mm -hmm. the soldiers. And until you read that, you don't realize why it affected you the same way. So it's that personal connection to it. Yeah. And now I see it and it looks, uh, how did I not see that? Well, I was eight. Right, I wasn't yeah. supposed to see it. Yeah, you had no context. You're supposed for what to that, feel it, yeah. that meant. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, for me, it, it, it happens that I, I get scared. The thing that scares me the most, I, I think, is safe, things that are supposed to be safe that are changed to be, like, you know, horrifying. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, and it's almost the, for scaring me, is like the appearance of safety that is all of a sudden interrupted. You know, mm -hmm. there's um, this really, really fucked up movie uh, called The Poughkeepsie Tapes. Uh, and then it was there was never released like they never got out in theaters they had, it, it, for all you can only get it on bootleg you know it was one of these things that was that was because um, it was so vile no one would pick it up and it's about this guy who's a, a it's it's like a found it's a found footage movie but it's about this guy's a serial killer and he tapes all of his murders mm. and he he is you know um, uh, leading the FBI and police on and it's made like a documentary you have like FBI agents talking about trying to find him and stuff like that. Um, and there's this one kill in it, or this one, you know, this one attack that he does where he, he you know, he's walking with the camera and he, there's a girl in the shower and he like puts the camera down. He like walks right up to the outside of the shower and just like stands there and doesn't do anything. He just stands there and, you know, she kind of feels something's wrong and she's like, huh? And he just walks away slowly. He hides the camera and he just goes into her closet and shuts the door. And like her boyfriend walks in and they talk and they go downstairs and, you know, like watch a movie. And it kind of lets the time pass. And he waits in that closet for like two hours. Wow. Comes out of the closet and you see him. He, you walk out of the closet, he walks up, he goes downstairs and he just, 
you know, walks, they're laying on the couch. They're not really paying attention. He walks up behind and just stabs the guy in the neck, you know? And then he kidnaps the girl. Damn. And it, like, it, it freaked me out so much, you know? Because you think, like, you know, a lot of, most horror scares are, you know, bad thing comes in, bad thing hurts you. You know, that that's what it is, you know? And this was, bad thing's gonna wait as long as it takes, you know? And, and, and that really freaks me out, you know? So... I think is everything in horror. Yeah, it is, yeah. absolutely. It's all about suspense and timing. By the way, I recommend, I don't recommend anybody watch that movie. You got me really. Oh, I have to watch it now. The movie is vile. You're going to feel like yicky after you, after you watch it. But um, <laughs> some really, really in, intense uh, stuff. The, uh, the bear scene in The Shining mm-hmm. when the, they're in the room and the bear looks up. Yeah, yeah. That is my single most frightening moment in film. Mm-hmm. There was something about that as a child and still to this day that chills me to the bone. Yeah. It's only like, it's like a, it's like a second and a half worth of film. Mm -hmm. It's so, so brief. Yeah. But there's something about that image, the way the suit looks, the look on his face. Mm -hmm. I, there's something about it that just, it unnerves me to no end. Well, man, when you're a kid, you're like, what the hell is that? Like, you don't, you can't Yeah, but I thought that was worse than the woman in the, in the bathtub. Right. But think of, I think, I think the reason why that is because you, even as a kid, you can process like, that's a ghost or that's, you know, something evil trying to hurt somebody. But that bear thing, it's, it's just like, as a kid, you have no, you have no idea what that means. You know, it's just like this in, insane imagery that you can't, mm-hmm. you know, reconcile. And if your, you read the book, brain. you find out what the origin I know, of that I know. I read is. that book. That book, yep. that book is also really scary. I think that's part of why the shining is such a masterpiece in mm-hmm. horror, because it's just, that movie's chock full of, particular scenes and images that stick with people for different reasons you know yeah absolutely. Um, i think my, mine is the twins in the hallway oh. and, and the, the elevator opening and the blood just pouring out through the elevator you that's know? my that, that's my sister's that's oh, her yeah. scene yeah 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 or or the the um the scenes of uh jack running through the frozen labyrinth at the end of the movie mm-hmm. are yeah. pretty intense too we should just do a podcast about The Shining. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you were talking about things being safe. I saw Psycho in a theater in 69. It was reissued, hadn't been out, and it hadn't been on television to that point. Mm. It's just there wasn't the internet or a lot of coverage. It was, I, I knew what the movie was. I, I want to go see this movie. My parents said, sure, we saw this before. Right. They just left me at the theater. I was 13. <laughs> you go in the theater and it's, oh, it's this nice guy who runs a motel. You know, <laughs> what could go wrong? And she's there in a shower, and you're the most vulnerable. You're just standing there, and she gets murdered in front of the star of the movie. I, yeah. it, what just happened? Mm-hmm. Holy crap. <laughs> Holy crap. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. It's and another it's, uh, classic movie, uh, Rosemary's Baby. Oh, yes. I've never it, seen that. You've never seen it's that? On it's, my, it's, it's on my list of shame. very much, I think, plays into that whole, like, things that are supposed to be safe mm-hmm. that are not safe. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole movie's about motherhood and this, you know, family that's building and they're making this life together. And, uh, yeah, it all goes very wrong. <laughs> it does all go very <laughs> to wrong. To say the least. Yeah. And I think that's the same reason why, like, um, you know, the novel version of It, you know, yeah. was one of the few books when I'm reading it, I feel unsafe you they know reading it down here yeah oh god <laughs> so scary and first of all he's attacking kids you know yeah. so th- that feels you know wrong and then there's the fact though that even when they grow up they can't escape it you know and, and so for both generations it, it, it's a, a tough book to 
Reed, and he takes the form of your worst fears. You know, I loved so, that movie. I haven't seen that in a long time. I love that movie. Unfortunately, that movie doesn't hold up so well as an adult, but it is great as a child. Really? Oh, <laughs> yeah. don't tell me that. I mean, the the book and what King does in the book, which makes it, you know, more terrifying, is that you know. In, in the it movie, you know he's always the clown, and then at the end he turns into that giant spider, and you have no, you can't process like it doesn't make it doesn't make as much mm-hmm. sense. But when you read the book, you know the idea the idea of him is that he he you he appears to you as whatever scares you the most. So that always got to me, you know. And I, I remember in the movie though, there was one scene in the movie that always scared the crap out of me, and it's the scene where he goes to like get the milk or whatever in the fridge. Yeah. Oh my! And he's just there, and I'm yeah. like, you can't just be there, you know. That that's <laughs> there has to be some sort of warning, you know. No, that's not scary. But I, you know, but I know. Yeah. But with that that always got you know those things like the things you can't control, the 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 thing that can have physical presence, but somehow it doesn't have to deal with the laws of physic, you know, the physical mm-hmm. world, you know, and and it, it knows you, like it, you know, and yeah. in the movies when they like they say the character's name and stuff like that, that always. You know, you're not. That makes me feel unsafe. I know we're supposed to be talking about comics, but no, this is uh, fine. This is what scares us. This leads <laughs> yeah. into the comic thing, you know. Salem's Lot. Oh yeah, Salem's that Lot's movie great. when the kids outside the window. Oh yeah, and yep. he's he's asking to come in. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. That messed me up. Yeah. That to this day, I still I watch that movie about once a year, and I kind of busy myself during that scene because mm-hmm. I just I I can't I can't take it. <laughs> I can't take it. It reminds me of too many different scenarios that I've read in books or I've seen in film or I've imagined on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just some 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 truly frightening. It's it's interesting how um, how specific, kind of like comedy, how fear and horror is so specific to the person. Yeah, that what one person finds frightening, the other person's like, eh. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, you can you can put a really horrible movie on for for a group of people, and each one of them will have identified with a different moment in the film mm-hmm. that yeah. unnerved them to a degree, mm-hmm. and um, I just think that that's that's really quite fascinating. That's one of the things growing up about me and the way I grew up around the horror movies. Like my dad was a huge, huge horror movie buff. He just mm-hmm. he loved them, and he loved them because they scared him. And he, but he always taught me, and he always told me. He said, you know, you don't have to fear. You don't have to fear this. This yeah. is, you know, it's entertainment. It's this. It's that. Um, but I mean, I, I just, I grew up in it that I, I became fascinated by it. The things that typically scare people don't scare me. Mm-hmm. Monsters don't scare me. You know, like I don't know anything supernatural. I find like nightmares. If I have a nightmare, not a true horrific nightmare, but if I have like an unsettling or a bad dream, I will feed off of that for days. Mm-hmm. I love it. Like I actually, I enjoy it. Like it's it's a little twisted, but <laughs> I just, it's so much more interesting to me. The, the thought process that I go through for those few days feeding off of that imagery and those thoughts and whatever provoked that dream, um, I've always loved, even as a kid. Well, I, um, I have... I get, I don't get them as much anymore, but I get night terrors. Mm-hmm. Um, and anybody out there who's never had night terrors, mm-hmm. be thankful because what happens is, you know, it's this, it's this problem you have like going from, you know, REM sleep to deep sleep and it, it gets interrupted. 
Mm-hmm. You know, your sleep project gets interrupted and you can't tell the difference. The dip, the wall between what a dr- it's a dream and what's reality really kind of breaks down. So you end up having these vivid dreams. <laughs> There's vivid, Max. Yeah. <laughs> His first Can appearance. you guys hear that? Yeah. 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 Really? Oh my God. He's on the other side of the house. <laughs> Um, these vivid, realistic dreams that it would be as if I'm sitting in my, I'm laying in my bed and I'm dreaming about looking where, what I would see if I was laying in my bed and then something happens. Like, you know, I had this, this one once where I had a dream that there was someone standing over my bed Ugh. and I woke up in the same instant, but in that moment my brain can't tell the difference. And so I, there is no part of me that does not believe down to my core that that person isn't in there. And it's like the fear, it's so, the fear is so paralyzing. Like you believe like you're going to die. Like it's absolute terror. That's um, insane. It's, it's crazy. And I don't get them as much anymore, but I have gotten them. Like I've woken up screaming. Um, My problem. Um, I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. but I'm going to say that something that scared me and we talked about Insidious before. Yeah. There's a moment in Insidious where the guy's pacing outside the bedroom. Yeah. And all of a sudden he's in the bedroom right in her face. That's what it feels oh, like. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's Ooh. what it feels like to have night terrors. Like, that is the the, the, the closest station I've ever gotten. And that scared the shit out of me because it, it was, like, sensitive. I watched that with Karen, your girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah, she was she she had seen it already. Uh-huh. So she was sitting in the chair watching yeah. for my reactions <laughs> and, like, rewinding. Did you see that? Did you see that? <laughs> um, one of the things that I have, um, you were talking about dreams and stuff, is um, I wake I often wake up where I'm not, my body's not awake but my my mind is mm-hmm. and i can't move when i wake up you kind of like you're paralyzed yeah and you kind of have to like you you wake up and you can't move but you're you're awake mm-hmm. and you kind of have to psych yourself into movement that you're like your chin is down by your shoulder and you just kind of have to like count like one two three and just try to move every muscle in your body all at once to get you out of it god forbid you don't get out of it that first time it's it's truly frightening. I bet that's one of the things that scares me. Yeah, we're telling everybody what we fear. We're gonna get people. Our listeners are gonna know how to mess with us now. People are gonna use it against us. <laughs> use it against us. Um, and what I was talking about, you know, about like kind of the 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 supernatural but physical that I was talking about. I I was just today actually kind of getting ready for this. I was trying to read something that was out right now, and I read uh, the the first four issues of the miniseries Colder. That's coming out right now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and it's about uh, kind of like a fee, almost like a fear demon. You know, he feeds on fear and, and, and insanity. And, you know, uh, th- there's a guy who can see him and, you know, he, he's trying to kind of fight against him and save this gr- woman who's been taking care of him. And uh, it's, uh, it's insane because they go into like this fear world. Right, and the designs are unbelievably scary. Like, like these. There, there's one where he he drags this girl who's an agoraphobic, and makes her like stand in the middle of a stage Ooh. with like these people who are just it's just a face with an, a one eyeball and Ugh. like teeth. Like, and they, he just and he, he just lets him like touch her. Like they just keep touching her, and he like she's like I, she's like screaming, "I need a door! I need a door!" And, and then this he is like colder. This is colder. Yeah, Ooh. it is intense and crazy and. Um, you know, there's, there are slight issues with uh, the beginning. It's, it, it feels a little bit like they're laying pipe, like the exposition is a little heavy, but once they're, you're into it, 
uh, it's really intense. Um, you know what you might really dig, and I think um, I'm pretty sure that I suggested this to uh, Melissa, and she ended up really liking it, is uh, Lot 13 from Steve Niles. It's got a little bit of a poltergeist uh, feeling to it, or like American mm-hmm. Horror Story kind of uh, kind of thing, and uh, just it's almost wrapping up. So once it's done, I'll uh, I'll throw it your way. Yeah, I read the I read the first issue of it, and and it definitely gave me that that vibe. It picks up the second issue, like gets it going. The third issue just solidifies, like it's really, really quite frightening. Yeah, that's all. That's awesome, Bobby Millingham. Sure. Uh, for me, a lot of what's scary is that loss of identity idea. Maybe it's because having grown up in the late fifties and sixties and communist witch hunts and Cold War, whatever. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's our place in the universe kind of idea. So fatal. Melissa, do you have to go? I'll have to go in just a minute. Yeah. I want to, um, before I go, I just want to mention, I'm reading right now, uh, crawl to me, which is a really great horror series. I don't know if you guys have read it by Alan Robert. No, 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 no. no. What, uh, what is it? It's, uh, oh, it's really, it's really, um, it's pretty intense. It's, um, it, it begins your, your, it's one of those trippy kind of things that you're not ever quite sure if things are actually happening. Or if something okay. is just in somebody's mind because it's constantly kind of flipping back and forth between something really insane and then, oh, we're just normal people mm-hmm. going about our lives. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what it is, it's basically the story of a, um, a house that a um, child molester and murderer once lived in. And some really, um, he was killed there. And um, I don't want to give the whole thing away, but basically um, some... Some new people move into the house, and the their lives and the life of this um, terrible person start to melt together. And it's just um, mm. the artwork is incredible. Um, it's really it reminds me a lot of Riley Rossmo. It's very kind of like um, sketchy and blurry, and color used really really well in certain places just to make certain things really kind of grab you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it. Um, the scariest place in the house is all kind of centered around a crawl space in the basement, which is terrifying in itself. Yes. Yeah. Um, things come in and go out of the crawl space. Um, so, yeah, it's just it's really awesome. I've been reading it and it's it's kind of creepy, but I've been reading it in the middle of the night when I have to get up with the baby. <laughs> and somehow I can go back to sleep. So. Who uh, who publishes it? Um, IDW. Nice. Cool. Very awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Melissa, thank you so much for joining us. I know you have to go be a mom, so that's yeah. a little more important than doing our podcast, I guess. Yeah, I yeah. Guess. I'm being yelled at by the baby. Okay. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And you guys are going to hear Melissa again uh, on Friday uh, during the interview with uh, Casa Gambari and Menton 3. Um, but uh, we're going to keep going with the show, obviously. But Melissa, thank you so much, okay. and we'll uh, talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. Of course. Good night. Bye. Okay. Bye. Good night, guys. Good night. Good night. All right. So... Melissa is awesome, perfect yes. person to have on to talk about this horror stuff. Bob, you were in the middle of a uh, of talking about uh, something <laughs> stuff, stuff. Fatal, fatal. That's yeah. right. Which uh, is awesome, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Um, I recommend reading it in a lump. Mm-hmm. I mean, issue by issue. It, that's it's that's how fun, I do it. Yeah. It is just the momentum as it builds, as things mm. get worse and worse and worse. Now, this we're just started the second story arc, which still harkens back to the first because we're dealing with people who were much older than they appear i'll just leave it at that yes. um mm-hmm. but really very retro art style very sort of 50s wallywood ec kind of artwork but modern mm-hmm. 
while being an old-time detective story at the same time, if you're a fan of old movies, you'll, you'll fall right into it. I highly recommend I had it. no idea when I read Fatal that it was going to go in the direction that it did. I didn't know that it, there was going to be creatures and like mysticism and yeah. cults and stuff like that. Um, just really cool. That actually, that made, what was that, number 10 on my list for the year? Yeah. Of yeah. last year? Yeah. Yeah, that was one of those things that made it in like right at the very end that I got to sit down. I read, uh, I think, 11 issues in one sitting. And uh, just some truly, truly uh, inspiring stuff. Very cool. Yeah, I mean, we talk about Revival, obviously, a bunch. Yeah. Uh, but that definitely belongs in the conversation. I mean, it's it definitely plays... We talked about it a little bit about how it plays against uh, the kind of uh, run of zombie stories mm-hmm. that have been coming out. And it does so in a way where... It, it's great, you know. It's it's sort of like when a movie star plays against type, where he, he's he or she is using what you think it's going to be and the expectations expectations you have for the direction that story is going to go to freak you out. You know. Oh yeah, especially once we get into the there are political elements to this. Yeah. Uh, there's religious right things. Yeah. We have uh, the, this faux exorcist, but we don't still don't know where he's headed. Yeah. Uh, the twist with the sister, with, I won't yeah. say too much past that. Yeah. There's just a lot of really great ideas. Yeah. Hopefully they'll continue to grow on them. Yeah. They keep building. And the mystery of kind of what is actually behind the revival that's happening, you know, is still very murky. And the, the figures behind it, you're not sure if they're good or bad or what what's the end game mm-hmm. going to be. So it does a really good job um, with that. But. It's it's funny we talk about these books and I I, I met and we talked about Lock and Key how much it stayed with me but and I mentioned it before when we were talking about but I gotta say it, it, it's I'm bringing it up again but Colder really just like sticks in my mind as one of those things that um is the kind of what horror stuff freaks me out you know, yeah I've been hearing most. a lot of buzz about that I'm gonna have to uh we probably we have that right yeah we we have it Ooh. yeah we have it absolutely um. We, uh, Bob, you have more stuff you want to talk about as far as books no, or something no, that, freak, we're, we're, that freaks you yeah. out? I think, I think everybody knows now how to scare us to death if, if, yeah. if they so wish. Um, you know, I asked on uh, on Twitter a little bit. And we got a couple answers about oh, cool. some people's favorite horror books. And actually, Travis McCollum, who writes for us, said, you know, Green Wake, Sweet Tooth, Walking Dead, um, and the manga XXXHolic, he hmm. said. Um, and uh, Sean Lamont, also who writes for us, says, Gotta go old school since my father's copies of both terrified me as a child and got me grounded. Vault of Horror and Eerie. Yeah, okay. Um, Very old school. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, H. Paz, you know, our friend, uh, our buddy Hugh says uh, he, he loved Spawn when it first started. He thought it was damn fine horror. Just a shame it's gone on about 150 issues too long. <laughs> That's what he says. Womp womp. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, thank you to those guys for, for, you know, chiming in on some of their favorite horror books. And again, thanks to Melissa for being on the show because uh, that was pretty awesome. Um, uh, before we get out of here, though, I want to talk a little bit. We got some listener questions that we haven't gotten to. Ooh. I want to bring them up. Uh, so let's see. Here, this is from Christian. He says, um, I'm curious how you guys pick what you're going to read first. I'd rather sizable pull list. And I sometimes feel like not reading because I have so much to read. Um, also, do you have hobbies aside from comic books, like woodworking, cars, etc.? Woodworking. Woodworking. Oh, I love to whittle. <laughs> I build cars out of wood, so it combines both there things. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Uh, um, who wants to go first? Uh, I'll go first. Uh, about as far as how I read my books, it's funny. It, it changes every week. Uh, I sit down, and I, I'll generally make three piles, but those three piles 
all mean like different things on different weeks. Like sometimes I'll separate DC and Marvel and indie stuff and kind of almost like pick one from each as I go along just so I don't get mm-hmm. too mired down in there. Sometimes it's definitely like these are the books I really want to read really, really quickly. These are the books I kind of want to read. And these are the books that maybe I'm thinking about dropping, you know, right? Uh, or the, the book that somebody told me to pick up, but I'm not sure I'm going to like, you know, some, stuff like that. Uh, and, and so then I'll just, I'll, I'll either leave them in three piles and kind of pick from each, or I'll just stack them back up and, and go through. Um, I generally try to not stack all the books I want to read most on top, because that way it gives me something to read for as I'm going through. You know, but I'll definitely start with the the, the book I'm most excited for, and you know, kind of sparse out the other books I'm really excited for throughout the piles. So I'm like, oh, now I'm reading this one. And I'm excited about it. That, nice. That's kind of that's kind of how I go about it. Steve, what about you? Uh, it's really a mood thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I basically, I, you know, I, I have a pretty sizable pull list as well. Um, what I do is, uh, every, you know, every week, every Wednesday we have, we have people show off their hauls. So I'll go home and I'll divide everything by company, by publisher, I'll lay them out and then bag and board them. And then what I do is I basically say to myself, I'm like, well, what am I in the mood for? And if there's Batman books, like there's three Batman books or four mm-hmm. Batman books that came out in one day, I will read those together. Yeah. Um, especially with the events going on mm-hmm. and just how they all tie into one another. I want to try to keep, um, you know, some kind of continuity to my reading. Absolutely. Um, and I've been buying all, you know, all the tie-ins, even if they aren't very good. Teen Titans. Um, <laughs> but it's really like, what do I what do I feel like reading? Like if Hawkeye comes out, mm-hmm. I read Hawkeye right away. Um, even above, like if FF or Fantastic Four comes out, just because I know that Hawkeye is going to be good and it's going to be different. I know what to expect, or I'm following a story from another book. But when you pick up Hawkeye, you're you're going to get like a new flavor of something that you know is going to taste good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to mix it up a little bit. I don't like to stay in the same vein or the same genre for too long mm-hmm. because I like after I'll read like a heavy book or I'll read like DC's a lot more of the darker stuff or they're just their stuff just seems heavier and way weightier. Yeah. And um after about like two or three DC books, I need to I need to brighten it up. Mm-hmm. I need to spice it up. I'll read some yeah. My Little Pony. Yeah. Or you know, like <laughs> I just, or I'll read FF Mm because I want to read something fun and something tender. And um, it's really just a matter of what do I feel like reading at the moment? How do I feel? What did the last book make me feel? Mm -hmm. Did I read something that was going to, that I expected to be, you know, one way? And then by the time I was done with it, I was either elated or I was kind of a little bit down. And I want to follow that up with something brighter, or maybe I want to stay in that area, and I want to get the darker books out of the way so that I can le- read the brighter stuff and go to bed mm-hmm. with you know a little bit more adventure uh, <laughs> in my blood. Nice, nice. Bob, what about you? I tend to go worst to best. Uh-huh. I pick the thing I'm least excited for and put it to the top of the pile, particularly if the better books at the bottom are going to require me to go back an issue or two and make a little pile. I want to mm-hmm. save that for, okay... Deep breath, pour a glass of wine, you know, read three or four issues of something back to back. It also gets the, the crap out of the way so I don't spoil the mm. taste of something with something awful afterwards, yeah, which happens sense. way too often for me. Yeah, um, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, what I'll do sometimes too is what you said about mood. No, what I'll do it is I'll take a dark book and I'll make mm. sure the book after it's going to be a little more lighthearted. So, yeah. you know, that it, it evens it out a lot, which mm-hmm. usually means a DC book and then a Marvel book afterwards. <laughs> yeah. But, 
Um, or sometimes I do some silly stuff sometimes too. Because sometimes like like Hawkeye and Daredevil and like Punisher and all these books that like are like uh, are like New York like Marvel mm-hmm. will come out in the same week, and I'll read all those together. You know, it's it's a silly kind of thing, but sometimes I get in like that groove. You know. Yeah, urban storytelling. Urban yeah. storytelling. What about uh, hobbies? Hobbies. Um, uh, I feel like everything I do is a hobby. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, I love watching movies. Uh, we play video games, obviously. Uh, I just got Dead Space three, so I'm really excited. Oh, to, you did? to pour through that. Yeah, nice. Um, you know, I, I like to write. You know, creatively as well. Uh, I, I don't really. You know, I have like a million ideas and a million stories I want to write fully out, but I'll take a lot of notes and I'll write a lot of ideas down, and I like to kind of muse on that stuff uh, a lot. Um, I like to do, you know, like some, during the summer, I kind of like to do a little like urban exploring, you know, just go out and, you know, walk around and see weird stuff that exists in the area, you know, go on day trips and stuff like that. I, I like doing stuff like that. I don't really build anything or, or models or work on cars, or mm-hmm. I'm not really a, you know, work with my hands type type of guy so i don't it's stuff that some of the stuff i would like to do like I, like it was funny around the time we had the hurricane and all this stuff started like the lights went out and stuff i was like you know it'd be really cool to know how to do shit right now <laughs> you know what i mean like know how to build you know make a circuit and build you know do this and do that and whatever like that you know i i, th- I thought about that's the time i thought about it you know it'd be nice that if this happened to me like when i actually owned a home i would be able to do things mm-hmm. you know what i mean but I just have never crossed over into that you know section nice. of my life. What about you, Steve? Uh, I am a huge music nerd. It's true. I absolutely love music. It's my number one passion. Uh, I used to have a band. I don't have one anymore. Mm-hmm. I was the lead singer. But one of the things that I've never lost sight of, um, every so often, if you follow me on Twitter, I'll post something to my Tumblr. Um, I still do write a lot of lyrics. And it's a shame that I can hear the music in my head, but unfortunately I'm unable to play it because I do play guitar, but I play very poorly. <laughs> um, but I love researching music. I absolutely, one of my favorite hobbies is to find new music. Um, in a time where the top 40 dominates everybody, I mean, it always has, mm-hmm. but people's musical opinions these days, um, I guess I'm going to sound like such a snob, but people will take whatever you give them most of the time. Um, People don't have time for albums anymore. They have time for singles and that's it. Um, I am an album man. If I don't like the entire album, I don't listen to the band. Um, Aside from music though, uh, I love playing video games right now. I am about 27 hours into Nino Cooney. Nice. Uh, Yo God, absolutely. I have not, immersed myself in an RPG in ages and it feels so good and the fact that it's Miyazaki and level 5 I was able to write about it for Joe Blow last week it's just I'm right in home right at home in that right now um and more recently uh I'm actually a little spoiler alert I'm actually learning uh how to further my art style and draw I do draw in my spare time and uh I'm learning how to make comic books Wink, wink, nudge, <laughs> nudge. So, uh, and spending a lot of time with Bob and our friend and listener, Lauren Colleagues. Mm-hmm. So, uh, cough, maybe <clears throat> towards the end of the year. Spoiler. A little yeah. something <laughs> going on. Uh, what about you, Bob? I'm the movie nerd. Uh, I've got more movies in the house than it's possible to watch in the rest mm-hmm. of my life since I'm the age I am. And I like looking backwards at things. Same with music, and I do that yep. too. It's, okay, 
this director that I liked, what did he like? Mm-hmm. Who's his influence? Which then turns into this backwards branching tree that means, oh, I need movies from 1905 mm-hmm. <laughs> for no particularly good reason, but I should watch Millier. I mean, why not? I mean, or, or Charlie Bowers or some other crazy thing. Uh, way too many old books in the house from all sorts of vintages and watch way too many ball games on television since I don't watch any real television anymore. When people quote me some show that everyone on earth is watching is, is where is that? What channel is that on? I don't know. Give well, up. So well, what did we do a couple of days ago that I was at your house? We well, watched, watched 1960s Fantastic Four cartoons. <laughs> and and uh, Bob put on a kind of a best of clip show for me of several several different genres, but particularly... Oh. Godzilla, oh yeah, he you didn't know you didn't know there were new Godzilla movies I over had the last no decade idea. or so, and no some idea. heavy duty ones. Yeah, really great too. It was fun. especially the last one, which is Godzilla: Final Wars. It's the, the end of that the, what they call the Millennium series that began in two thousand. Um, bad mutant guys have taken over the Earth, and you know the they, they've dropped monsters all over the place, and the only way to stop them is, of course to let Godzilla out of his Antarctic prison. Mm-hmm. Yep. So he starts swimming north and shows up in Australia, and the monster that's there is the American Godzilla from that awful Matthew Broderick movie. <laughs> that's really funny. Yep. Who he fries in 28 seconds and <laughs> flings him through the Sydney Opera House and just blows the bejesus out of him. That's, that's pretty awesome. That's great. Um, I mean, we obviously play a lot of board games. Like, we love playing board yeah. games. But Beer I, that, and board games Wednesday. Yeah, it's more yeah. of like a leisure activity than a, than a hobby, I would guess. Not I'd for say. Jackie, it is No, not for Jackie. Um, beer's kind of a hobby or it used to be a little before I went on the big diet like I used to be really into like different kinds of beers and you know buying all different craft beers and stuff like that uh, which is pretty cool um, actually when you mentioned that before I, it kind of we had a listener question but it's Joshua who asked if any of us were interested in ever creating comics so yeah you got to answer that and yeah. you know I mean uh, Steve and Bob they're actually doing it right now they're actually <laughs> working on something I've been w- working on an idea I don't tell anybody about what I'm writing until like it's anything and yeah so that's why I'm I'm, tr- I'm trying to keep is I yeah. want to tell people what yeah. it is but I'm, I'm keeping it under my hat for now you know I've been gestating an idea for a comic for since before we started doing this um, and it just gets bit by bit like gets notes and it's this really big like sci-fi kind of time travel story that I've been like... This is the first time we're hearing about this? Yeah, well, I don't... Bob's actually read a page I, of it. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> Way yeah. back before he started this, I read, I read yeah. a page of it. Yeah, it was um, very good. And I haven't read read any more pages in script form. I've just... Got, it's an idea, but it's actually an idea that I almost wrote a movie script for. It's an idea that I've been gestating for years and it's changed and changed and changed. Wow. It's, it's not even close to being anything fully formed yet, but doing this has absolutely engaged me more in wanting to do that because you know what you see too is yeah it's a bit it's definitely like you know to become a very successful comic creator is obviously very difficult but it's one of it's an one of the it's industry that i've seen most in the entertainment field that it to break into it takes nothing more than you just having the ambition to break down that wall you know because there's so many ways to get it out there now you know it, it, mm-hmm. it you know you literally, you don't even, all you invest in is, is your time and you can create something fully formed. And so, um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're all creative people here. Like, you know, we all have other creative endeavors that we're always thinking about. So, uh, yeah, that's absolutely something I think that all of us want to do and are doing in, in some ways. Um, the other thing, other listener thing I want to talk about is Bob brought this to my attention. Actually, we had a listener email you a story mm-hmm. that um, someone on uh Oh, Comics Alliance had written about Aquaman. 
Yes. About the new Aquaman. And uh, it was a rather negative outlook on Aquaman in general. And specifically, he wanted to know as well our thoughts about what he said about the current run. And basically, so the current run was horrible. <laughs> and that it was, you know, all very all the self-references to Aquaman being bad are, 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 are kind of dumb. And there's no reason to do it. And uh, the thing I'll say about it is... Um, the whole article's thesis is basically, I like really silly, dumb stuff, but even Aquaman is too dumb for me. Um, Bob, you've read the article, right? Yeah. That's kind of the thesis of the article. Uh, the guy guy goes through the history of Aquaman, and he complains about the night, the Peter David run, where they kept calling him badass all the time, and then complains about the Jeff Johns run, where they're kind of making fun of him at the beginning. Uh, and to me, it just seems like someone who really has not kept up with the runner read that he read the first couple issues mm-hmm. and kind of went away from the book because I mean, that's not what the book is at all anymore. I mean, you're so you, you've been reading the book. Yeah. Right. The book isn't that at all anymore. No, I, you know, I don't, this, this version of Aquaman is the only Aquaman that yeah. I've ever read. So yeah. I don't really have, I don't want to say too much cause I don't have too much of a reference. Yeah. Um, but this guy's saying he doesn't like any Aquaman except for the yeah. one, the brave and the bold. So it's not uh, like it. You yeah. Know. All right. Well, I mean, you can you cannot like a character, mm-hmm. and and you know you can you cannot like a book. You're completely yeah. entitled. But yeah. um, I personally, knowing what I know, or just the the stigma that surrounds Aquaman, that mm-hmm. he's kind of like the joke of the Justice League. Yeah. Um, I thought that it was a very the poking was quite clever and quite mm-hmm. fun and kind of. Uh, paying homage to all of the the naysayers and everything. Yeah. I mean, some of the stuff that happens, especially in that first arc, I mean, I'll never forget that one page. When I turn the page and he just leaps out of the ocean and there's, like, oct- octopus and sharks and yeah. shit just, like, flying out of the water with him. And I was just like, holy shit. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, Aquaman. <laughs> Yeah. Like it was it was brilliant. Yeah. It was brilliant. And I love I absolutely love Mera. I mm-hmm. love her. I think yeah. she is as far as DC uh female characters goes, she's grossly grossly overlooked. Mm-hmm. Um nobody really ever brings her up. Everybody focuses on Catwoman and mm-hmm. Wonder Woman. Um Mera is a strong character, very charismatic and just She's stupendous. I almost read the book for her. Mm-hmm. Well, that issue where she goes into the store, I don't want to, in case people yeah. Yeah. now go back to read this, where yeah. you get to see what she can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we, we talked about it at the time. Was it a little much, all the very meta yes. stuff they yeah. did? Yeah, but it was for a point. It yeah. was to make people aware that we know it too. Yeah. We're going to mention it and move on. And when it turns into the creature from the Black Lagoon mm-hmm. horror movie for yeah. a two or three issue run, with the whole thing in the in the abyss there, mm-hmm. it's just really really just a great book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I I haven't read from twelve up, 12 so up, I don't know yeah. where where we've gone. Yeah. I know you're all saying it's even better. Yeah. Um, but again, this fellow was in the article was picking at everything. Yeah. He, you know, he didn't like really silly, mm-hmm. but then when he tried to be serious, he didn't like that either. Yeah. You know, when Peter David wrote Aquaman and took his hand off and gave him a beard and made him yeah badass. Mm-hmm. Changed the character around for a long time. He regressed backwards and had to be saved again. Mm-hmm. It's a strong character. He's he's there submariner. As, as it was pointed out in the article, he's never been that. Mm-hmm. Never had that chance to be real, but that's changing. And this yeah. crossover, yeah. I think, is their statement about where this character can now go. It is. It definitely puts him in the forefront of what the DC Universe is trying to do. And, 
you know, I said this also in conjunction. I was talking to one of our listeners on the site and when we, when the article talking about the Ant-Man movie. And, you know, he said, I, I, I don't understand how you can make an Ant-Man movie in this Marvel movie universe. People will laugh him out. It, it'll be, it's too silly. You know, it's a stupid character to use. And I said, look, there, there are no stupid characters. You, 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 just how you mm-hmm. treat them, you know. And Aquaman, yeah, if you, if you break down his powers, they seem silly. But if you break down any superhero powers, they seem silly, you know. If you use that tone that everybody uses, like, oh, he talks to fish, you know. Right, <laughs> right. Sound, no, yeah, exactly. That makes it sound stupid. But, you know, if you do that with anybody, you know, oh, he shoots laser beams out of his eyes. No, you know, were, <laughs> look at the Avengers movie. We, you've got two, three really heavy hitters. Mm-hmm. A cosmic war with, with beings from some other star system. Yeah. And an archer. And a girl who can shoot a gun and a, and a guy who was a capsicle for 70 years. Yeah. <laughs> who can't do anything but throw a shield around. And they all have moments and manage to do something. It's in clever writing. Yeah. And plus, you know, the thing about all these characters is, you know, and this is the difference between, you know, I don't think people really know Ant-Man very well. They, they kind of see the jokey nature of it and they don't look into the character. Both the people who, who have taken the Ant-Man mantle have had tremendous personal tragedy mm-hmm. in their character arcs, you know, and... You know, yet yeah, somebody who gets small and big and talks ants might seem silly on the outside, but the potential for the visuality in in, in that kind of situation is amazing. Think about that. Think about the scale things you can do when he's a little little bitty thing. No. You know, famously, be honey, I shrunk the kids. Exactly. Well, well because it, it came first. Yeah. Uh, during the Kree Skrull War, was Neil Adams doing the Avengers? The Vision has been blasted by, spoiler alert for a 40-year-old book, um, the scrolls that get turned into cows mm-hmm. turn, <laughs> nice. turn back into scrolls mm-hmm. and blast the vision to pieces. Oh my God, I totally, I totally get that now because I've been reading, <laughs> reading Fantastic Four. Yeah. Holy um, shit. So the only person who can help them fix the vision is Henry Pym, mm-hmm. who shrinks down to ant size and more and goes inside the vision yeah. to try to find out what's gone wrong with them. And that's the, the pencil. Just think about the visual of that, and it's the same thing with Aquaman as far as any story. I mean, we're seeing in comics, uh, but imagine that in a, in a film. Like, imagine the undersea world in a movie. It, it would be amazing to see that. Well, in a imagine, live yeah. imagine Edgar Wright doing oh, the Ant-Man, Ant-Man which yeah. he is. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's most likely going to be in 3D. Yeah. So you're going to be able to shrink down and go into, you know, worlds unknown. Yeah. Or maybe not even worlds unknown, maybe into a body. Yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know, for 25 minutes or whatever, you're going to have like cells and God knows mm-hmm. blood rushing towards you. Yeah. Or, I mean, I'm just whatever. Yeah. But like, I, I personally think it's brilliant and I can't wait to see it. Yeah. Me neither. I mean, we, yeah. And of course, since he does eventually become giant man. Yeah. Could have some fun here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, we got off the Aquaman thing a little bit, but that's it's kind of the same general feeling to me. It's that uh, what John's did with the character, I mean, you cannot like it. And my problem is with him not liking it. My problem is like the thesis of his whole thing just felt off to me. And this guy asked for our opinion on that, and that's kind of what I thought about that. Um, but before we got here, but I do want to give a chance, a short chance to just talk about, you post an editorial about... Um, uh, you know, uh, the Captain Marvel possibly getting mm-hmm. canceled. And I just want you to kind of talk about it in the call to arms and the whatever. Sure. Um, there's a line of death that's been described mm-hmm. as in a couple yeah. of places. It's apparently 20,000. And Captain Marvel, which may have started not as high as we may have thought, 
based on the positive press. It started, and, I think, in the 40s. It was like 45,000, right. which is good. It's good. Right. But yeah. And, and the, look, it, common industry wisdom is the issue two sells only about two-thirds as much as issue mm. one and then issue three down. So probably fairly quickly, it might have drifted into a bad spot. Why is it... Uh, as I describe it, reader on we is it change of artist? Is it just that fall off? Is it female lead character? Mm. Um, the fact that this is a book portraying a strong female character in a different way than we're used to seeing one who's been rescued from the scrap heap and that has been, whether it was Dexter Soy, certainly, but Emma Rio since Felipe Andre now always interesting art, something really different in a presentation of, of a superheroine, mm -hmm. than we're, especially than we're seeing lately. Great writing by Kelly Sue DeConnick, who's picked up threads from the book from the 70s. And it's a book that needs to be supported. It's this kind of thing I've championed since I've been here. It's a, it's a positive book with, mm -hmm. with great characters, great storytelling, and a good message for everybody. It, it's perfect jumping on point. It brings a different audience to comics than has been before. So uh, the point I made in my piece is I don't have the numbers, the mm -hmm. data. I would guarantee you that this book is read by a different segment of people than are reading anything else. So on that basis, it may find a way to stick. Yeah. But my call to arms is this. For all you people who, as I do, talk about wanting to see better things, better representation, better role models for young women and everything else, it's in this book. Buy less variants. Mm -hmm. You know, the extra money you're spending on something else is just buying an extra one for some future... I don't know, send your kid to college, <laughs> throw $3 at this book that, that could deserve it and it may yeah. save it from oblivion uh, that it doesn't deserve. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. It's funny, um, just a really quick point of reference on that is that uh, Hanny, uh, Hanny Mode, who does, uh, she was the artist of our avatars for the Talking Comics website. She, I send her comics every few months. I'll send her a package of comics. Um, it's been mostly the womanthology that she's contributed to. But the other comic that I every month, every time it comes out that I buy two copies is Captain Marvel. So, you know, there are people all over the world that are interested in this character and people that can't even get it in print that want it. You know, they find ways to get it. And if I'm sending her one book and it's that book, you know, like it's it's just mm -hmm. it's it shows how how powerful that character has been and how much of an influence that's it's had on the female readership of comic books in general. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You see all the pictures all over the internet of people cosplaying as Captain mm -hmm. Marvel, knitting themselves hats and making hoodies. And yeah. it's, it's engaged a different audience. Mm -hmm. And there's something to be said for that. Absolutely. And, you know, of course, you know, the book is very, the book is extremely high quality. And, and I, I don't think there's any question of that. Now, of course, we have a, a, we don't have a personal relationship with Kelly Sue, but we we know Kelly Sue enough for us to be a kind of a doubly uh, important thing to us. And I, you know, people may think that that has more to do with it than anything else. But you know, we get nothing out of this book surviving no. except a good book, you know, on the stands. So, yeah. um, you know, it, it's a and don't buy the book just because it's symbolic either. I mean, that's not what we're telling you. It's a quality quality book. So just remember that, you know, I, I think it's easy for people to think that there's other motivations, but there, we, uh, there isn't no. any other motivations behind it except for that. Well said. Uh, all right. So let's talk about what's going to be on the shelves today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, from Boom Studios, we have 
Adventure Time with Fiona and Cake, number two. Yes. Uh, Sorry. It's okay. <laughs> the, Fairy Quest, number one. Did you want to say something about it? The art for Fiona and Cake, number one, was stupendous. Right. Absolutely. I hope that it's the same artist uh, throughout. The first page of that book is of oh, number one was one of the single best pages I've seen in a comic book. I don't know if you've seen it. No, I haven't. It's like a little fairy tale on one page. It's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, fairy Quest, number one. Uh, Hypernaturals, number eight. And Planet of a- uh, the-, the Apes, Cataclysm. Hypernaturals always sounds like a Disney kids show about superheroes. <laughs> it, it's uh, Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning. Uh, it's basically like a, almost like a Guardians of the Galaxy type story. Uh, I read the first issue way back when it came out, and it didn't overly impress me. It wasn't a bad book, but it just wasn't something with a lot of, a lot of uh, fire to it, I guess. Um, from Dark Horse, we have the Alice in Wonderland hardcover. Hmm. Uh, we have Buffy the Vampire Slayer Willow Wonderland, number Ooh. four of five. Yay. Uh, Colder, number four of five, which uh, we've been talking about a lot on this show. Um, we have Hellboy in Hell, number three. Yeah. Uh, we have uh, King Conan the Phoenix of the Sword trade paperback and Star Wars Dark Times Fire Carrier, number <laughs> one of five. There you go again. I'm telling you, man, it's a dartboard. They just throw, they just throw them there. When's the issue two of the Brian Woodward? That's I'm not sure. It's got to be probably. I'm, I'm gonna probably guess like next week. Okay. Uh, that seems about like a, about, be about a month. Yeah. Yeah, I would think. Um, we're so used to books coming out so many times a month that when a book actually comes out once a month, it feels like yeah. forever. Um, How dare they? Yeah, I know. Uh, from DC Comics, uh, Animal Man number seventeen and Swamp Thing number seventeen are coming out, which is the conclusion of Rot World. Yeah. Um, uh, we have Batwing number seventeen. Uh, Detective Comics, number 17, Dial H, number 9, Earth 2, number 9, Ferrist, number 12, Green Arrow, number 17, yes. which is the first of the Jeff Lemire, Andrea Sorrentino uh, run on the book. Awesome. Uh, Human Bomb, number 3 of 4, Insurgent, number 2 of 6, Legends of the Dark Knight, number 5, Cool. Uh, Looney Tunes, number 211, uh, the uh, trade back of New Dead Wardians, uh, Phantom Stranger, number 5. Um, Smallville Season 11, number 10, Stormwatch, number 17, uh, World's Finest, number 9, and Yay. Young Romance, a new 52 Valentine's Day special Ooh. is coming out. Yeah. Wonder Woman goes to talk to Eros about why she should buff Superman, apparently. Buff. I'm trying to keep it clean, okay? <laughs> I just like the word buff. Uh, from Dynamite, we have Army of Darkness, number 10. Garth Ennis' General for Blood, number 22. Mm. Garth Ennis' Red Team, number 1. Mm. Um, we have Prophecy, number 7 of 7. Vampirella, number 26. Vampirella Strikes, number 2. And Voltron, number 10. How come that doesn't have a vowel at the end of it? What, Voltron? Yeah, it should have an A at the end of it. Voltrana? Yeah. That's the female version of Voltron. Uh, from IDW, we have Adventures of Augusta Wind, number four. Yay. Crow, Skinning the Wolves, number three. Um, we have Doctor Who. vaguely dirty, doesn't it? Yeah. Doctor Who, number five. We have G.I. Joe, Real American Hero, number 187. Uh, Joe Palooka, number three. Joe Palookas. Um, My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, number three. Yeah. Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow, number 21. Too excited. Uh, Star Trek, number 17. Uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, Doctor Who Assimilation Squared, number eight of eight. Nicely done. Two. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, number 18. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Color Classics, number nine. Um, Transformers. 
More than meets the eye. Yes. Ah, Number 13. Back on target. <laughs> Uh, there's also Transformers Prime Rage of the Dinobots, number three. Uh, oh, it's Transformers Prime, colon, Rage of the Dinobots, number three. Uh, and, Grimlock. And Transformers Spotlight Megatron, one shot. Lots uh, of Transformers stuff going it's on. It's true. Um, by the way, we didn't talk about it before, but I was disappointed in the He-Man one shot. You too? Yeah. Yeah. Disappointed in it. Yeah, I was actually going to talk about that, uh, or I did talk about that during <laughs> Book of the Week. <laughs> We're all out of order this week. Yeah, we're, we're, yeah. Behind the curtain a little bit, guys. Uh, Image Comics, we have 68 Scars, number four. Blackacre, number three. The trade paperback of Debris is out. Uh, Dia de las Muertes, number one of three. Hell yeah. Epic Kill, number eight. Great Pacific, number four. Guarding the Globe, number six. I Love Trouble, number three. Yay. Uh, Mudman, number six. (laughs) Multiple Warheads from Alphabet to Infinity, number four of four. Perhapanots, Danger Down Under, number four of four. Repossessed, number two of four. Snapshot, number one. Son of Merlin, number one. Super Dinosaur, number 17. Think Tank, number five. Youngblood, number 76. And Zed, A Cosmic Tale, the trade paperback. It's a collection of... uh, God, I can't remember his first name, but his last name is Gagne. He's this animator. He designed uh, Insanely Twisted Shadow Planet. Sounds like a shampoo. Yeah, Gagne. Gagne uh, Fruities. Like, yeah. uh, and he also he was a, a, a Pixar guy for a really long time. Oh, He's a really famous animator. Um, the art oh. on it is really cool. Uh, who else we Do got we know it? what Snapshot's about? I don't know what Snapshot's about, no. I'll have to look at that tomorrow. You'll have to or, look on Talking Comics t- for a review. Today, <laughs> yeah. rather. Get the time yeah. right. Uh, all new X-Men number seven. This is Marvel, obviously. Uh, Avengers number five. That makes three weeks in a row. Yeah, I'll take it. Uh, Avengers Assemble Annual number one. That's uh, a vision uh, Mm -hmm. focused one. It's not uh, Kelly Sue writing it, though. No, okay. Um, By the way, I know this is an old storyline, but uh, Avengers, the once and future Kang trade paperback. Yeah. It sounds like, you know, like a slang. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, Kang. Um... (laughs) Uh, we have Daredevil End of Days, number five of eight. Sweet. Um, Fearless Defenders, number one. Ooh, yeah. Um, we have Hit Girl, number five of five. We have Iron Man, number six. Um, we've got New Avengers, number three. Nice. Red She-Hulk, Sweet. number 62. Looking forward to that. Road to Oz, number five of six. Yay. Scarlet, number six. Secret Avengers, number 37, which is the final issue of this run before we restart. Um, Superior Spider-Man, number three. Sweet. Uh, Thunderbolts, number four. Bleh. Ultimate Comic <laughs> Spider-Man, number 20. Yeah. Uh, Venom, number 31. Winter Soldier, number 15. Mm. X-Factor, mm. number 251. Are yeah. you going to give the new team a chance? One issue, Bob, or are you going to... You're already off. I think I'm off, but I will read it in the store okay. and make a decision in hand. There's more coming out today than I thought. Yeah, there's a lot of image yeah. books. There's a lot of image books that come out. Um, from uh, Valiant, we have Harbinger number zero and Shadow Man number four. Um, and from Zenoscope, we've got um, oh the trade paperback of Grim Fairy Tales presents Bad Girls, which friend of the show Joey Esposito, oh neat, was a writer on. Uh, Grim Fairy Tales Myths and Legends number twenty five, Grim Fairy Tales number eighty two, and Grim Fairy Tales presents Robin Hood number five. Robin Hood's been very good. Very cool. I like that book. Nice. So uh, that is what's coming out. That'll be on the shelves today when you're going to your comic book store. Um, if you guys want to be a part of the show, for a listener feedback section at Talking Comics on Twitter, info at talkingcomicbooks dot uh, com, or uh, Facebook dot com slash Talking Comics. Uh, 
of course, the website is talkingcombooks.com. Comment on the stories. We'll absolutely, uh, you know, engage you and talk with you back. And also you get to kind of interact with some of the other Talking Comics uh, listeners and readers, which is a pretty cool thing. Um, for those of you who have made characters in DCUO, and I know there's a couple of you, uh, I've tried to invite you guys to the league. The only problem is you have to be, for some reason, we all have to be online at the same time for me to invite you to a league. So we're going to have to coordinate that. So don't think I have, I'm, I am ign- ignoring your requests. Uh, I have all the names. I just, we need to, we need, uh, on Twitter one day, whenever I'm online or figure a day and I'll put it on and we'll get on and I'll, we'll form It's going to take some finesse. It'll take a little bit of finesse, you know, <laughs> um, but so don't worry, that is still going on. Um, my personal Twitter is at Bobby Shortle. Steve's? Mine is at dead underscore anchorus. Uh, Bob's? Mm, Bob Ryer at talkingcomicbooks.com. And um, Melissa's Twitter is at Lissa Punch. So it's L I S S A P U N C H. Um, so if you want to get in contact with her, I want to thank her once again uh, for being on the show. It was awesome yes. to, to have her here. Um, and guys, uh, we have an interview coming out with Kasra Gambari. I mentioned three on Friday. You really are going to want to listen to the interview. Um, they are awesome guests and they get really deep into their, you know, inspirations and uh, their motivations and just about their lives. Uh, it's a really, really good interview um, and it's long, but you guys should definitely check it out. Even if, listen, I have, I've read one issue of Monosite and, you know, haven't read any of other, their other work, but I was fascinated by the interview. So, and there's dick jokes. There are dick jokes as well. <laughs> so it's always a good reason to listen um, to anything. All right. So that is it for talking uh, comics for this week. For Steve, my house. I don't Bob, know what to say anymore. Goodbye. I have been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics. To be continued. <laughs>